the presenting sponsors of Ventures Assembles is John Naughty. That's over at the NaughtyLawGroup.com. They are the partners that you need when you have any type of issue that's going on. Look, we're talking about it's crazy time right now. Waiting on that stimulus check. Maybe your landlord is acting funny. They want to get rid of you. Whether you're a business, whether you're an individual, you want the partner that's going to make sure that they are the advocate for you. And that's why you use the people's attorney, John Naughty, over the NaughtyLawGroup.com. With a history of giving his clients exactly what they want. Be that, be that litigation. Be that just you want to quick wash your hands of the situation. Check them out. www.naughtylawgroup.com. Good everyone, it's your boy Mikey P, and I'm here with a few of my good friends. We got Chris Wiggins. Yo, we are look. It's, the Jays are gonna be nice today, all right. And I, when I say the jump shot's wet, the jump shot is wet on this one. Right? Just <laughs> I hear you. Uh, and we got Mr. Scott Bauer. What up? I've been working on my fadeaway. It's unstoppable. So we're good to go. <laughs> Worst white person fadeaway ever. Oh man. <laughs> No, it's, like, it's like that. It's like white men can't jump when Woody's coming down from the train station and they pick no, him. Yeah, but yeah, he's no, actually good. No, your fadeaway is like a 1990 center. Like, <laughs> yeah, except you're not Stanley. finessing anyone. Yeah, like Stanley Roberts or Oliver Miller. <laughs> Wenning, Wennington. Bill Wennington, yep. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, well, listen, I want to thank everyone for joining us. We are the Bingers Assemble, coming to you live straight out of the quarantine zone. Uh, now we have a special show for you today. We're on month two of the shelter-in-place guideline, and although there are absolutely no sports on TV for us to watch, this one particular sports docu-series has completely dominated television through ESPN. The past few weeks and has become the number one topic of conversation for shows like Get Up, First Take, Skip and Shannon, The Herd, which is Wigan's favorite show, uh, and many others. Um, not like they had much to talk about during this quarantine season anyway, but still. Yeah, sort of like num- the Lakers' last five years. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, but still, the numbers for this docuseries have been ridiculous, and it's only fitting given who it is based on. Yes, I'm talking about the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Michael Jordan and the 90s Bulls. This episode is dedicated to The Last Dance. Uh, so this special revolves around the last season of one of the men that most consider the most iconic players in modern sports today. Originally scheduled to be released in June of this year, the release date was pushed up Due to the pandemic and the state of the crisis that ESPN found itself, basically due to the minimal content that they've had to cover. First released Sunday, April 19th, the docuseries was directed by Jason Here, originally created as a joint venture between ESPN and Netflix. The docuseries focuses around the footage of Michael Jordan and the Bulls during the 1998 NBA season. It was deemed the last dance because it was the last year that the team would be competing after upper management made the decision to break them up. The special basically focuses around the Bulls' last season quest to win their sixth championship and the controversy that surrounded it. The series also highlights many historic events that shaped some of the league cast members, as well as the events that led up to the last dance. So, with all that said, I want to hear from you guys first. Did you like the series? What did you think of it? And what did you like about it the most? 
I absolutely loved it. Look, the, simply put, I'm a, I'm a Jordan stan. People know that. It's no secret. Um, I go back to young Chris on the, the leg braces, valiantly battling cerebral palsy. My inspiration was Michael Jordan. I had the red and black Chicago Bulls covered uh, leg braces. And I eventually uh, went and got the Charlotte Hornet ones as well. But the Jordan ones came first. And that that's just my admiration of it. So there was pretty much nothing that they could do that would ruin things. Um, you know, I'd read the Michael Halberstam, the great author, uh, whether that's sports or politics or anything like that. But I read his book uh, called Playing for Keeps. came out uh, – sort of uh, towards the end of this. So um, that like, so everyone, please do check out that book if you get a chance, as it does sort of chronicle a lot of this. Um, now, I will say that, like, having read the book and then watched the do- – like, having read the book years prior and then watching the documentary, I was already hip to a lot of the things that uh, happened, uh, but it, but the documentary, like, did still do a v- great job of bringing up a lot of new things. And you – like, uh, the footage, just like the footage aspect. Michael Jordan, a notoriously private guy. Uh, on top of the world but a private guy and then you get to see so much of what he's like and the things that people have said about him over the years uh, finally started to come to fruition and you're actually seeing those occur like through video uh, via this unseen footage which i really appreciated and then sort of the ability of them to focus a lot of this uh with the with the documentary sort of uh jumping back between time frames and then finally ending um the last episode sort of talking about the two years that he played the jazz i thought was just brilliant yeah, I uh, I agree with you. I mean, that's a that's uh, a lot more detail about it than I was gonna give. <laughs> but I think no, what I think was no, I mean, it's amazing. Like because yeah, you you're like you already knew a lot of this. It's weird for, because for me, it's a little bit different. Uh, it's like I was living it in the moment, but I was like you know ten and twelve and fourteen and whatever, and like like many teenagers. Um, uh, when you have like one specific obsession, like most of your, uh, you know, efforts sort of concentrate around that. But for me, I wasn't like that. I was like way more of like a schizo kid. Like I, I don't think I ever was like, I didn't ever like get told I had ADHD, but I'm pretty sure I did. Like I was just doing a thousand different things all the time. Um, and so what I think is really cool about this is it's like now my concentrated like adult brain can digest all of this and like put it in those times. But, but then, so it's almost like I get to relive it again and then sort of like have the emotional connections that I had when I was younger, but now really get all of this insight and all of this knowledge that, uh, you know, for the last several years has been taken on LeBron and his amazing story. But, but MJ was first, right? Like, for me, at least too, being so young. So it's really cool to like have that kind of insight. And not to be honest too, and I wanted to talk about this with you all and we can get to it later, but I think the amount of coverage of sports right now, like to your point, MJ may not have been able to be that private now. And that's kind of crazy. So just to see that whole evolution and now they're putting this like modern day microscope onto it, I think is pretty amazing. Uh, how did I know that your Ohio ass was gonna drop the first LeBron comparison <laughs> on this cast? Like, <laughs> I thought he's gonna bring up Craig Elo. <laughs> Craig Elo. Oh man, he did have that. It was kind of dashing blonde hair that went like way too low to ever block that shot, <laughs> but it went across the across the screen though, right? I mean, he almost got a hand on it, so 
Uh, it was you know, can't knock him too much. Yeah, he uh, got a hand up. I mean, you saw the hand go by. <laughs> yeah, is that um, like? I I really like the series. I think that they did a phenomenal job just producing and directing the series and creating the storyline. Um, I really like how they changed the timeline from past to present, with the present being obviously the 1998 season. And I think that what I enjoyed the most about it was just getting to see. All of the retro Jordans, I mean, I'm a huge sneakerhead like, <laughs> to the heart, and I own a lot of retro Jordans. I mean, uh, I've got knockoff. way too many. No, not knockoffs. Hell no. Gonna, uh, Mission Bazaar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've got some I've got some in the garage, some in the room, some at my parents' house. Like, I've got way too fucking many. I don't but, think the uh, original Jordans had those, like, BK uh, light-up bottom sneakers that the ears got with. <laughs> yeah. Scott had, um, Sha- I don't, Scott I, had Shaq shoes. I know it. <laughs> I definitely had British Knights, several. Uh, um, I don't think like I ever got like, the Shaq shoes. Yeah. No, Scott's like, oh, it's still a guy doing a move with a basketball account, so he's wondering why no one's collecting the Shaq. Man, hey, Scott was rocking with the Spalding shoes, bro. Oh, yeah. definitely. I had Spalding. Yeah, what, that? yeah. <laughs> nah, but anyway, um, so yeah, I'm a huge sneakerhead. own a lot of retro Jordans, so just getting to see him play in the Jordan 1 Chicago's, the Jordan 4 breads, the Jordan 11 breads, and obviously, like, the Jordan 13s during the footage of the 98 season, just to name a few, like, I just thought it was super dope just to see, like, all that archive footage. Um, Scott, I agree with you. I think that he was a very private person. And so just being able to kind of get a glimpse of some of the conversations that they were having on the plane and the locker room, all the shit that he talked, like, obviously growing up in the 90s, like, you got a glimpse of it from what you saw on TV and on ESPN, but I don't know if it was just like a factor of age because at the time I was 10, 11 years old during that 98 season. Um, a lot of those things I really wasn't put up to completely. And so now getting to witness a lot of the footage and just kind of seeing more of his personality from a personal standpoint, I, I thought it was really unique and really a really good experience to get to dig into it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean... So- I, I- Go ahead, sorry. Go ahead. I know uh, some some of the cool stuff was just like, just how often they're interviewing Michael now, and then like I love I love the I don't how do you come up with this so good like giving them their phones of footage of other interviews that they're doing yeah. like at the same time with that was, it's so good like I just, think they only let Mike do that didn't they No 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 yeah no, that oh. Pippin saw it uh, okay. lo- yeah a lot of people Horace Grant yeah, they, had they had one version yeah. I thought it was a little problematic on their part. Like, I was like, ah, oh, they're trying to stir up some drama. But I get it, you know, like, you're filming and interviewing all these different people. And so it's like, you want to kind of stir the pot a little bit to get those reactions. And I think getting to witness those reactions, like, I think my favorite one was the one that they showed Jordan with uh, Gary Payton, the glove, saying that, you know, had he been on Jordan <laughs> earlier in the series, he would have covered him. And just like the smirk and the laugh and his reaction, like, yep. I loved it. Yeah, Very it's authentic. Good. I agree. I mean, it's sort of like it, it reminded me of like when if you if you're if you're doing a movie, right? And this is a docuseries, so it's different. But like you you you're all together and you're all vibing, you're all acting, and that's like what can make it great or bad or whatever, right? And it's kind of like I don't think they maybe thought of this, but like the quarantine, they couldn't have been near them all anyway. Um, and I realize this was probably filmed some you know a lot before, but but to your point, it got pushed up. Um, but like it, it gave me that feeling though, where like 
you, I, I zoom with people now and you're like, okay, this is basically live where they just said this or something. It's like kind of cool. Like they're trying, yeah, I think they're trying to stir up drama, but almost feel this like proximity of it all, like on set within production and all of that too. Oh yeah. I mean, just like the shit that he was saying when he was like trash talking Peyton without him even being there. Like you could tell <laughs> like the feud was still there, you know? And he was like, man, Gary Payton didn't have shit on me, you know, and just, like, his reaction, like, that that's what I think I enjoyed the most, like, just the Did anyone like Isaiah it. Thomas either? Like, I don't think no, I've always did. disliked him. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> always <laughs> like, like, all right, so, look. said in the NBA, like, I don't think. Yeah. Well, like, you know what the craziest thing, like, let me, if I can unpack a little bit of this. Um, So, the thing about Isaiah, it's, he's, he, okay, he, he. time has been the worst, like, usually, like, you look in politics, um, Presidents do better the longer they've been out of office. Um, usually athletes become more beloved uh, the more that they come out of office. Uh, or Sorry, not out of office, right? The, the longer it is between their playing days, right? Like Mike, Mike Vick's now looked at with rose-colored glasses and people forget inaccuracy. Um, with Isaiah Thomas, he seems to be the one athlete I can recall where time has been worse to him. Like you're presented like there's a thing, him kissing Magic Johnson on the cheek, right? And everyone's like, these two are best friends. Then immediately it comes out, oh, well, he probably is the one that, like, spread a rumor that Magic was got AIDS from – or, sorry, HIV, rather, from being gay. And then it comes out that not only – like, we knew Michael Jordan, there was beef there. And then there's obviously the uh, – there's the clear Larry Bird and Isaiah beef. And then you just read all these other people, and it's like no one had anything good to say about Isaiah. And – I mean, they, like, didn't – he didn't make the dream team because they all fucking hate it. <laughs> yeah. Well, hold that thought. Hold that thought because that, that was going to be my following question. So, you know, obviously they highlighted, you know, different topics of Jordan's early career. And one of them was the feud that they had – that he had with the bad boy Pistons. Um, I mean, what did you guys think overall about the Pistons' reluctancy to shake hands after losing the Eastern Conference Finals? And obviously, you guys mentioned, like, Isaiah Thomas being snubbed, but, like, did you guys think he deserved it? Do you guys think that Jordan was petty for it? So, I'll say that. Yeah, look, I'll say this. It, it was childish of them to not shake hands. Uh, you know, but let, let, let's – and let's be clear. Joe Dumars and, I believe, John Sally um, both went to go um, shake hands. It was just mainly – the visual was, like, usually of Isaiah Rodman, um, Lambeer, and others, like Aguirre – not shaking hands. I thought, you know, I think it's childish and it's bushly. You don't have to do that, uh, number one, but I think that it's part of good sportsmanship. In terms of the Isaiah factor, the dream team, look, everyone makes, and I talked to a lot of people from Detroit, so shout out to my main man, Stoops. But uh, there, there seems to be sort of an issue with um, John Stockton being on the team as opposed to Isaiah Thomas. I don't have any issue with John Stockton being on the team over Isaiah Thomas. The issue is Isaiah Thomas being left off, and I'd right. say that subbing Christian Leitner out for Isaiah Thomas would have been a b much better move, just in my Wasn't opinion. Wasn't Dan Marley on that team, too? Uh, no, no, Chris Mullen. Oh, Chris Mullen. They, they don't all right. look yeah. alike. Not all the white guys look alike. Scott, come on. Dan Marley Sorry. and Chris Mullen, I get them confused all the time. Like, in real life, I would get them. Like, not because they look this, but I just don't, their names are interchangeable to me. No, it's like when people mess up. Yeah, it's like when people mess up Bill Paxton and Bill Pullman. Like, they they don't look alike, but their names are always getting mixed up with one another. Like, okay. Yo, I just love how Wiggins threw Christian Leitner in there. It's like, you snub one hated guy and replace him with another I hated guy. I feel like guy. Chris Wiggins has gone, at our, has gone at our white audience twice. 
one we didn't count with Michael Vick being looked at with rose-colored glasses. I think there are a lot of people who do not look at him with, with rose-colored glasses. Uh, and then also just Christian Leitner. Come on, I mean, beloved amongst uh, many of our white viewers. I think. Uh, who? I don't know anyone outside of like Duke fans that fucked with him. I know. They did that 30 for 30. That was pretty good there too. But that's the kind one of that's the called point. I hate Christian yeah, Leitner. Exactly. But that's kind of the point too. Cause he's like hated as well, but maybe the players don't hate him as much. as they do. Maybe, so, but know. Wiggins carry on. I, I want to hear what, yeah, what well, else you have to I, say. I mean, I was, I was, I was pretty much done. Um, like I, I just think that the, the thing around, look, the, like I don't like. Look, I was a fan of the, like. Even though I'm a Jordan guy, I was a fan of the Bad Boys. I just like their style of play. I mean, I don't think that it's good basketball by any means because it's shit defense or so. But hey, you know, you, you, so, so you need to hit the weight room. Um, and so the animosity between that is interesting. And you know, if you look deeper, they didn't get into this or so. But the way I understand it is that Isaiah Thomas is born and raised in Chicago, and that's why he's a part of the Hoop Stream, uh, the famous Hoop Streams documentary. Mm. Um, he's ra- born and raised in Chicago, and then his third year in the league, like, because Isaiah Thomas, like, you forget, like, he went eight years, kind of, I don't want to, I hesitate to say that he was irrelevant, but the Pistons were playing the uh, the Pontiac Silverdome for, like, seven years, right? And they were bad, and they would try to, t- like, 30,000 people, they'd configure it for 30,000 people to sit in there, but the team was just bad, and so they'd have, like, 4,000 fans in there, essentially. Right. And then there's a guy who comes in to your city and takes it by storm, and you're sitting there like, okay, um, and look, this context shouldn't be lost. Isaiah Thomas won the national championship in 81. The very next year, another fr- uh, a different freshman, that being Michael Jordan, goes and wins the national championship on a game-winning shot. So Michael's stolen his thunder in terms of popular, uh, you know, popular younger college player, as a, a, of being a popular younger college player. And then immediately, you know, when he goes to the draft, He's in the city that you grew up in, and you're on the rival team, and he's more beloved. And so there's that pe- there's that piece of the rivalry. And then when you mix that's fucking childish, basketball. dude. Sorry, man. Like it is, it's like he's the greatest of all time. How is that any yeah. like everyone else is is outshined by Michael Jordan? Well, I know, but think <laughs> but think about it. You're 20. Let's say you're I agree. I think that's how he thinks. That's well, how no, he but, thinks. No, but think, we're right. talking about in the context of it being 1984, 1985. Yeah. Because yeah. you remember you had the 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 they hinted at this the lockout, the freeze out, and the lock. Uh, sorry, the the All Star oh, game. Right. Where they they yeah. froze them out, and they said that that was orchestrated by Isaiah Thomas. Interesting. So yeah, yeah. There's probably yeah. There's a, I think a lot to that, um, especially considering like how how much he was reveling in beating Michael in the playoffs. Oh, so yeah, like yeah, that yeah. that was just probably just just so much for the ego it, that was already sort of shattered. So yeah, maybe that's kind of. Oh yeah, you know yeah you know he yeah you know he's eating that up like hey I'm eliminating this guy and they're crying to the rep and he's crying to the rep. Oh, exactly like, I, yeah, yeah. He, he had to be eighty what eighty what I think they beat him three years in a row eighty eight eighty nine and ninety. Yeah, you know, he, like that was like Isaiah probably. And two were in the three. conference finals, right? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's sitting there like, dude. He goes, man. He goes, I hate this person. He's a crybaby. People are saying he's never gonna win it. Then I go back to back, you know? Yeah. Like, he probably thought that was like the best time in his life. You know? I mean, it was really because they also <laughs> won the championship yeah. once or twice. Twice, twice, back to back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so mean, it's, it's pretty soft. Yeah, it, 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 I do think that it's unheard of, like, 
for the dream team in 92 um i don't like i don't make this argument um where it would it you would think that a person who was just recently the champion 89 and 92 would be on the dream team over someone like larry bird in night like maybe yeah. Boston fans remember 1992 Larry Bird because they were getting like eliminated by the Pacers. I wouldn't put Isaiah on the team over Larry Bird since I'm a Larry Bird fan, right? But that like it's like all right, this guy recently won a title two years back. This other dude hasn't won one in six years, and he's his back is broken, but he's on the dream team. <laughs> but I mean, you got to think about it too. It's not like Larry Bird was like a dominant force on the dream team. Like that, he was like, dude, this is a Hall of Famer, amazing yeah. dude who's still in the league. We got to bring him on. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, um, he, he's a, he's still like a top three face of the league at the time. Exactly. Too, so it makes sense that he's there, right? Yeah. Versus, yeah. No, like I, I got to imagine, like only the people that like the Raiders and UNLV running Rebels basketball and Miami Hurricanes like the Detroit Bad Boys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like I like all those teams, so I like them well, yeah. too. Well, I like um, yeah, me too, right? But yeah. you, you brought up something interesting, though, because, yeah, you're right. Going going back to back, doing that, uh, not to just completely relate it to LeBron, but to relate it actually to another team that I think is similar to the Bad Boys, which was those Celtics teams that was eliminating the Cavs and then going back, you know, back and forth with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. So, like, is Paul Pierce better than Isaiah Thomas? Or not? That's, ooh, good, that's a good question. I mean, I'd say this, like, uh, hmm, great, great question. Uh, I don't know if we have, well, Mike, I don't know if we have time to get in there. I'll, I'll, say, this, <laughs> uh, I'll say this. I mean, more, the Bauer, more positive <laughs> memories Bauer, of Isaiah Thomas. you came Thomas. through with some heat, bro. I can't yeah, even lie. <laughs> I'd say this, right? Isaiah Thomas has more rings. And you never saw a period. Isaiah like retired relatively early too. Like, uh, and, right. like, I mean, you can make the case like Magic and Magic Johnson obviously retired early, and Larry Bird was gone pretty quickly too. Um, these guys both had about thirteen to fourteen year careers, and like Isaiah essentially had like an eleven or twelve year career. So you didn't really see him fall off the way you see uh, Paul Pierce jumping from team to team, you know, and that, that like that that makes it look bad or so. I just thought Isaiah Thomas was more a more dominant force than Paul Pierce would have been was. Yeah, I just think that Isaiah's team versus those Celtics. I mean, Perkins was like a like a pretty solid contributor. On that team. Yeah, but he's not a Lambeer, you know. <laughs> That's what. No, I agree with you. I'm saying the Pistons are. I think the Pistons were better. I'd say that yeah. the Celtic, those Celt, those. I'd say that the. Well, look, all right, I don't want to get too far in, in, in too yeah. far inside and, baseball. Yeah, I'm saying, and and the Celtics beat two great. They beat LeBron and Kobe. So Pierce beat like, not just the Michael Jordan. Whatever. Yeah, we're getting way off topic, yeah. but I don't know. And I'm not. I've never been a huge like Pierce fan, but I'm just. This is, I think he might be better. Oh wow. I mean, I will say this. I think that Isaiah Thomas to draw your comparison, had a better college career than Paul Pierce, and he ba- had a better NBA transcript than Pierce by winning the two titles and doing it with a team that wasn't considered like a triple threat. But That's I'll true. leave it at that. Um, to answer the question on my end, uh, listen, I don't support or condone poor sportsmanship, but I also won't sit here and criticize the bad boy Pistons for walking off the court. And my reason is sports are competitive. Competition is ego, and if you play a rival you've been feuding with, one that you absolutely despise, and one you've had the satisfaction of beating many times and eliminating many times before, your ego is going to be bruised when you lose, and losing to someone you don't like is hard. 
I don't blame them for walking off the court. Wiggins, I've had this conversation with you many times in the past where you would make fun of me when I tell you that I walked off the field and didn't shake hands after losing a game to a team I didn't respect. And you even went on to send me a video clip of Kellen Winslow Jr. Uh, where he's talking about how <laughs> this is war. Um, I'm a soldier. <laughs> and in my case, this was just men's indoor soccer. Recreational. Like, I can't imagine professional sport. For 30-year-olds. Like the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> um, and so, for that reason, I don't I don't necessarily blame Lambier for walking off. Like, I'm petty like that, too. Like, I would probably do the same thing. Um, as for the Dream Team snub, I think Jordan did have something to do with it. Obviously, they had beef. But it wasn't a sense of blaming just him because obviously he had beef with a lot of people. So I think it's one of those situations where I don't like you. Wiggins doesn't like you. Scott doesn't like you. We're not bringing you on board. It's more like a group decision. Um, It's a petty move, but I can't blame them for it either because I do the same thing too. Like if we got beef, (laughs) I don't want to see you winning the gold medal at the Olympics with me. Why? Because I'm a Gemini. I'm petty as hell. I can't help it. (laughs) You know the craziest thing about the dream team? Isaiah Thomas's coach was the coach of the dream team. Right, and that's why yeah. I think that they had something to do with this snub. Like, if your coach is there, he's going to have something to do with you being on the team because he's going to vouch for you. So if, if your coach can't even vouch for you, His that coach means... didn't even like him. Come on. <laughs> just, just like, I can't wait for this fucker to retire. Ah, man. There you go. These fucking thick eyebrows have him, motherfucker. Yo, I have a question for you guys, though. Um, uh-huh. What did you guys think about the Jordan rules? And not the Jordan rules that the Pistons implemented when they played him, but the Jordan rules, the book that was written about him and all the information that was leaked to the author regarding, like, his attitude in the locker room and the way that he treated some of the players. Uh, so there's a question, uh, our opinion on Jordan in that context, or just more so the... Uh, Jordan in that context and Jordan, the Jordan rules, like, book, like, what it highlighted, like, the controversy behind it. Uh, Scott, I'll let you take it. Yeah, I think, um, for me... Uh, I, I think maybe at his post-career, like, look, I think Jordan gets a huge pass. Like, someone like Brett Favre, we, we kind of laugh at, like, he retired and then he came back. Then he was still pretty good. Then he, you know, he's kind of weird and he does these things. Like, these players who, like, come back and don't come back, uh, I think sometimes most of them were like, oh, they're kind of nutcases or maybe they have some weird things or whatever. Uh, and Jordan, he never really got that. It was like, oh, but going to baseball because of his dad. And then he took another couple of years off and came back to the Wizards. Like, I've always thought he's, there's got to be something. Like, true geniuses, and that's what he was, like, they're quirky. You know, like, they got some weird things going on. They don't see the world like a lot of, you know, other people do. Um, so some of that stuff, like, it's it's not that surprising. Like, uh was it in this or uh wiggins did you tell me like he punched steve kerr like who the fuck would punch steve kerr like steve kerr like supports the palestinians like like you know it's like the like the the biggest like worst population who needs representation like he his heart is there for them and he grew up in lebanon like actually like trying to support them like he's got to be the nicest dude in the history of the world like why would you punch him like you got to have some some sort of things are, are off with Jordan personally. But I'm someone who I very much separate the artist from like, their real life. I don't have to like Jordan the person. I fucking love Michael Jordan, the basketball player. Like, 
endlessly without really any of that other stuff. So some of it's not surprising, but I mean, some of it's like sad because maybe it damages legacy, but I don't, I don't think it will. But that's why I brought it up because like, you know, we saw him, obviously like the story about him punching Steve Kerr and obviously they're able to mend the relationship, but we also saw him punking, you know, Scott Burrell. And so that's the reason I was asking this question. Like, you know, I wanted to see if you guys thought like Jordan was a bully or if he was taking advantage because he wasn't picking on other people that were able to dish it back to him. Like he wouldn't pull that shit on Rodman, you know? Yeah. I he wouldn't mean, pull that I... shit on Pippen. So like, do you think he was a bully in that aspect? <laughs> well, he did put, well, he did pull it on Pippen. A little um, bit. They, they At the they beginning. Yeah. And like, I mean, uh, and like, look, he needed, I mean, there's a sense that he needed, like there came to a point where he realized he needed Pippen, so he's not going to do it. But um, the, to your question, right? The like I know they like it was it was interesting with them bringing up the Jordan rules because everything that was in the Jordan rules we we're learning in the documentary like uh, any anyway and so I think like their episode around like the shock factor was you know I thought it was interesting um, that author has gone on to write four books about basketball two of them involve Michael Jordan um, and it took the guy like uh, apparently ninety percent of the publishers that he reached out to were like no we don't want to do it um, and it, I'll say this right the Jordan, look, look, it's problematic. Like, a lot, like I, I knew about the Steve Kerr thing uh, early on. Like, I was fif- like 15 reading Playing for Keeps, and I was unfazed. I was like, well, fuck Steve Kerr, blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> better, better, right? Um, then you hear other things around how difficult he was, right? Time, Jordan, for someone who – he was protected for a long time, right? Obviously, because there was no social media, and he wouldn't have got away with a right. lot of the things. And it, Jordan said this before the documentary came out, right? You're, you guys are probably going to come out of this thinking that I'm not a good person or that I'm an asshole, right? And look, I see people making excuses for it, like, across the board, right? Like, so he must be, like, the most bulletproof person on the planet. Um, in terms of how he was a teammate, uh, yeah, look, that's problematic. And look, I have a lot of people that might say, and from high school football, that might say that I was a terrible teammate. Um, I don't think that I went out of my way to mock any team, uh, like, mock any teammates. Like, some of the things that are in the Jordan Rules books around – he knew that uh, Bill Cartwright sucked, so he'd throw, like, hard chest passes at him. Um, and apparently he also, like, punched Will Perdue as well. Um, oh, Jesus. Yeah, so it's like, okay, he obviously has a – he likes to punch uh, some of the white players on the team. Um, but, yeah, just because just Scott said I was taking shots at the, <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I, I, that's why OGs. This is, like, the third yeah. person in a row. Like, but, uh, st- like, Stacey like King says that most of the book was uh, fictional as well. Uh, Stacey King was, like, another uh, unheralded player on those uh, early Bulls teams. Um, but, essentially, I'd say this. There, I don't think that this behavior is unlike – what you might see from a lot of other teammates, we just Jordan is the epitome of most popular and there was room to write about it. And he was also seen as the guy that sort of took the NBA to the complete international and global stage. So there was a Definitely. protection factor about it. Um, but I like, so number one, I'm not condoning any of the actions that he's done. Uh, number two, I do think that that is like, that's shit. You know, that's just like a shit teammate to be right. Number three, um, I don't think it's unlike you might see like uh, Tom Brady. I'd imagine if Tom, if you transpose Tom Brady ten years prior and a lot of his career were to take place in the '90s, um, we know that he yells at coaches and stuff like that. And obviously, we don't hear anything foul or negative, but I imagine that there's a level of uh, understanding that the media is always on him. I wouldn't, see, or Aaron Rodgers, someone that Mike Mike talks a ton of shit about for no reason at all. Um, <laughs> 
it wouldn't be inconceivable to think that these guys probably that you can tell by their personalities that these are the kind of guys that might like maybe throw a football at someone's back or kidney or something like that. You know what I mean? When they yeah. don't like their performance. So, yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. Um, I read a book once that was basically trying to create an analogy between sociopaths and individuals who have gone on to become leaders, uh, specifically CEOs. And so the reason why they mentioned that (laughs) sociopathic behavior correlates to people in leadership is because they lack the empathy uh, to show towards, you know, some of the individuals that are the working force behind those organizations. So a person that is sociopathic and lacks empathy will not blink twice or think twice about laying off 30% of the staff to save money for the company, right? But then he'll be rewarded for now driving the profits and the revenues of the company by 20% and pleasing shareholders. And so I bring that up because obviously Jordan is a business owner. He runs, you know, the Jordan brand, but as a competitor and as an athlete, I'm not saying he's a sociopath, but that type of behavior does exist in individuals who are competitive, who will not stop at basically going at all means to achieve their ultimate goal, which is to win the championship. Me personally, I don't like people like that. Like, I had teammates like that growing up playing baseball and even just playing basketball, too. Like, we would call them, like, the on-court coaches. Um, I fucking hated playing with those types of guys because they'd be yelling at everybody. They'd be ridiculing you if you made an error. Like, you know, it just was never fun to play with them. But I get it. Like, if you're at an NBA level and your ultimate goal is to win the championship and be the best, you want to bring out the best in everyone else. Yeah, it's a different, um, it is a different level in that standpoint. Like, it is. And, but and I think your personality is so much thicker by then, yeah. too. It, like, as, as a fellow pro. It is and it isn't, though, because everybody has their own upbringing. I mean, you can be That's the true. star at your high school and you go to college and you're nobody. You know, or you could be the star in high school, the star in college, you get to NBA, you're just a role player. And so I think everyone, you know, you have your ego, you obviously have like your own upbringing to then be able to accept the type of coaching or the type of criticism that you're receiving. And so now having this individual who you respect, who is the best, but is now ridiculing you, calling you soft, throwing balls hard at your chest because you can't catch him because you commit an error. All of those things, like, I don't know if that would be supportive of helping you boost your confidence, if anything, I think that would have a negative effect in bringing you down and making you feel worse. Like, yeah. you know, like I, I just think psychologically that would have uh, a counter effect. So on let people. me defend it with this, and I'm gonna trigger you because it's gonna be awesome. Okay, but who of all, any of people who who have been teammates of Jordan have not wanted to play with him? Like, I think yes, it can be documented that he's been a jerk and everything. But like everybody wanted to still play with him at the end of the day. I think that because says Because they were going to get a championship. Right. Is that the case with all other players who are fantastic and great? I think LeBron So I know where you're going with this. the case. Kobe is not the case. I knew that Kobe was going to come. Yeah. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. And I will say I was going to bring this comparison up because Kobe was criticized for the same exact thing. People were talking shit, and they were saying that nobody wanted to play with Kobe Bryant, especially towards the end of his career. But my rebuttal to that is the Lakers, towards the latter stages of Kobe's career, were trash. They didn't have any role players. They didn't have anyone to support him to give them an opportunity to win a championship. Not in a time when they were going to go up against the Heat. And so for that reason, 
people knowing that they weren't going to have a shot at a championship and still having to put up with a guy who was going to treat you like dirt and then ridicule you on the court and still expect you to play at a level of a thousand percent i think people just chose to take the easy route now had we been talking early 2000s maybe you should have taken 50 million and (laughs) got some other players (laughs) but i mean I, i i get it i get it you know i but i tend to counter that again with the footage that we saw of like the interviews with Kobe, the short interview with Kobe, basically, because I yeah. thought, you know, there'd be a lot more context. But, you know, the way he described his relationship with Mike and him being, you know, his big brother, we see a lot of similarities, obviously, like in the way that they think, the way that they play the game, their competitive drive. And so I think that the comparisons are there as far as like their mindset. Um just the achievements aren't there but the same criticism that i saw from kobe you know in the 2000s now as an adult and a person that understands competition and sports and just everything else compared to me as a kid in the 90s you know where i didn't understand that you know now watching this documentary and hearing all this criticism about jordan like i understand it like and so i'm not going to sit here and talk shit and call him a dick you know the way that other people have said that about him but I will just say that me as a person, like personally, I wouldn't want to play with him, but I would definitely suck it up if I was winning a championship, multiple championships. Yeah, I mean, two, three Pete's. Jesus. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But anyway, discussing, you know, some of the topics in this docuseries, um, during the show, we saw them discuss Jordan's retirement and Wiggins, you mentioned the retirement earlier. Um, we saw, you know, obviously like the passing of his dad and we saw his transition and his decision to, uh, play baseball. What did you guys think about his decision to switch sports? And do you think that he would have succeeded had he, you know, received the opportunity to get called up to the MLB? So, uh, absolutely. First and foremost, absolutely. He would have succeeded if he was caught up, uh, called up to the MLB. Look, they went, they put him in double A just, uh, now that, that was just, for the fact that their single A parks uh, could not support the level of fanfare and media, Correct. they brought up how he started out with like a twenty-one game uh, hit streak. Then um, they started doing breaking balls and some things. Right? So there's a, there, there's a little bit of concern, but they talked about towards the latter part of the season. We talking about when you get on the summer months. We talking about the August September time frame. He started to pick it up and he looked good. And they said no, no doubt it was um what's the old boy's name Terry Francona, who is the manager of the Birmingham Barons, also the two-time. World Series champion manager for the Boston Red Sox said point blank he would have been in the majors. I take that as word as bond. Terry Francona ain't got to do that, right? And he, he could lose a lot of clarity. Uh, sorry, uh, not clarity. Um, he could lose credentials, right? And, and wouldn't be taken seriously, right, by saying that. But he still was willing to go on there and make that that uh, make that statement. They and the, also what's what's noted. Um, to, this kind of goes back to what you were previously saying um, about teammates, right? When they were talking about how he was in the clubhouse, all the teammates there in the, with the Barons loved him. Now, obviously, we didn't get any – I mean, it's probably because he wasn't like the alpha at the time, right? He's still struggling. Um, but there wasn't any like, hey, they didn't mention anything. Like, he came in, acted like he was better than us and yada, yada. And he was like a rude or a dick or anything like that. You see him like jovial with everyone, which I think you saw was pretty consistent throughout – uh, his teammate uh, ship with uh, uh, with all the players, right? Regardless of it just being bat, uh, baseball, but also with um, the Bulls and all. So I think it's safe to say that he would have done it. And let's keep in mind as well, he hit 219 in du- in Double A baseball when he hadn't played since he was 14 years old. 17. 17. Okay, sorry. All right. So he had yeah. uh, he was essentially 
uh, my math's right, 14 years removed then, 14 years removed from last having played uh, baseball, and he was hitting 219 in AA. So I think that there's a good chance that he would have gone to, that he could have gone to the majors. Now, maybe not have been an all star or anything like that, but, you know, nah. the white. Yeah, him and that would have been Frank Thomas and Michael Jordan. Also, he was playing outfield too. <laughs> like, look, think about what his damn uh, look to hit two nineteen when you about you know six six. We'll say he's really six four, right? Just based on NBA inflating heights and everything like that, right? Um, that's still impressive in every manner, right? His hitter, bo- his hitting, uh, or sorry, his uh, what do you call it? Strike box. Sorry, my bad. Uh, Mike, strike zone. Strike zone. Thank you. Yeah, y'all fucking. First of all, Scott, how are you going to talk about you love the motherfucking Reds? You couldn't even help correct me on that, man. Uh, (laughs) I was waiting. I have I have a lot to say about this. (laughs) Okay, all right. Uh, So I'll leave it at that. Right. I think there's a good chance that he. Yeah, I think there's a good chance that he would play in the majors. All right, go go ahead. So I think. um, So there's two two major things here, and I think uh, Terry Francona point is is absolutely valid, and I think that. Uh, there has to be a lot of credit given to that endorsement. Um, but I think it's, 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 there's a couple things. So obviously this dude is like a world-class athlete and just incredible. Uh, and so based on just his, his simple genetics, his athletic ability, all of that, I would say, 100%. He would have been in the majors. And that's probably in a lot of ways what Terry Francona was saying. Additionally, if you have a championship mindset and you have the confidence that that he has in his own abilities and his athletic abilities and you bring that mindset, like so much of that is is who who are the champions, right? Like they all have that supreme confidence. So that translates to like any sport that you're doing. I just don't think the, the focus was ever, ever, ever going to be there. It was like a sideshow. Like, was he really taking it that seriously, and could he have ever focused on that? So that's like the one sort of main point. I think he could have done it if he could somehow actually focus on it and not just kind of have this be a, a fun vacation summer, kind of check something out. Mm-hmm. Now, just about baseball specifically and his specific talent. 219 in AA is not that great. It's, it's great because he hasn't played since he was 17. But here's the thing. More, more prospects, most people don't realize this. Most prospects, like rookie prospects, young prospects, etc., they get pulled up straight to the majors from double-A oh, ball, not actually from triple-A. The reason is that triple-A is essentially like real major league pitchers who are just waiting until like the person who's only slightly better than, that, than them or who makes sense in their right-hand, left-hand uh, fastball slider pitcher, like setup utility man, like whatever kind of geometry they're playing there with the arms in their bullpen. Like the guy they have in AAA can 100% pitch in the, like, in the majors any day that they want this person to do it. So Jordan never going to AAA. And that's also, by the way, and this is all the confidence thing, why you go up from AA straight into the majors. Because they don't want to shatter your confidence in AAA, thinking like, fuck, I'm getting shellacked here after I was hitting 325 in AA. And then you go, but if you go straight to the majors, you're pitching moderately better, better arms and, and, and definitely better bullpens, but that's really only it. Um, and so they're like, dude, if you can succeed here, then, then you're good. When you get bumped back to AAA, that's, that's the thing. That's when you're in this sort of like, so 
probably way too much baseball inside about Michael Jordan <laughs> or no, for no, this no, podcast. Hey, but I think, yeah. but, but, you I, just, but I, you shot from half court right there, bro. Because yeah, I mean, you said was spot on Wiggins. I had this conversation with you off mic like a few days ago and you called me a hater. I mean, you are a hater. Like, <laughs> like, like, yeah, I am. I mean, I could have been off base, but you're still a hater. You can like, have bias, but still be right. Yeah, you can be like, a hater and still have the right. Yeah. Also, like, yeah, what you said there, oh, like, Scott made a good point because I made it to, I made the point to Chris offline. Or... Nah, That's what man. a hater does, man. He couldn't even let Scott nah, have his moment. Everything, everything Scott mentioned are facts. I mean... Triple A is obviously already playing pro level, and people do tend to get upgraded from double A because they don't want to shatter that confidence. Exactly. Um, you also get a lot more journeymen that are playing in triple A, and so it's kind of like that position where they're bringing you up and back down. Um, now, do I think it was appropriate for him to be in double A? I think so, because him being away from the game for so long, I mean... It's difficult for you to go into something. You have the muscle memory, but it's difficult to go into something when you haven't seen those types of pitches in a long time. And I say that because during my stages and my transition through baseball, they didn't let us ever throw any specialty pitches until we got older because it can really mess up your arm. And so I remember just seeing people throwing fastballs and things of that sort. You get the hang of it and you can hit it. And as you get older, like I think for me, it was once I hit like 12 years old, that they're finally allowing people to start throwing curveballs and change-ups, that it completely changed the game because you're not used to the ball coming at you from a different perspective. You might see it and then it curves or it, you know suddenly dives down, and so that switches it up. So using that same example now with his hitting streak, and then it ended because they started throwing breaking balls at him and all that. Um, with I the exact was, same pitching motion, because if you right. don't have that, you're never going to re- reach the major. So it looks like a fastball coming out of the dude's hand, and then it just... Doof. Die. Exactly. Um, but that serves now for me to give him the credibility that he deserves because he put in the work to basically get himself adjusted to now reading these pitches and be able to hit. And 202 is not the greatest batting average to have, but for someone that's been away from the game for so long, you have to give him the credibility for it. People are praising Tim Tebow for the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, Tebow didn't play. I'm glad you brought up Tebow. Yeah, I was gonna for a long time, and, and we same, probably same crowd yeah. size reasons for uh, for double A for him as well. But <laughs> exactly now he got moved up to triple A. We're probably gonna see Tebow in the majors. Uh, that's crazy. Um, yeah, he's working hard. He's working hard, and and so for me, I think that's where a lot of the credibility goes. Like I remember when Jordan did retire and went to play baseball as a kid. I automatically assumed that he was going to be playing MLB. And so, like, I remember, like, watching the White Sox on TV and being like, where the fuck is Jordan? And my dad had to explain to me, like, no, Jordan plays for a White Sox affiliate team. He's not in the majors. He's in the minors. And he has to transition yeah. up to it. As a seven-year-old, you don't understand it. Like, especially with the concept of this man being the best NBA player in the world and transition to sport and not being you know you just assume that he's gonna just walk right in and and dominate or just play well and it was hard for me to understand it as a kid but now as an adult I understand it and given what I learned from his transition you know with the death of his father and just a decision for him to you know move and just try a different um try a different sport a different experience and a different challenge Dion was already in the league by then right baseball yeah. yeah 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 and 
Yeah, and Bo Jackson had already been doing yeah, it. So, I mean, Jackson, it had already been yeah. done. But I think he very well could have made it to the MLB. Um, I think my biggest, biggest respect increase for him was based on his decision to not play during the MLB lockout. And that was something that was briefly mentioned in the docuseries, which I think they should have highlighted it more. Um, I think in on my behalf, I think that was a very classy move on his part. Super. And yeah. I think it didn't get the type of praise that it deserved. But his loyalty, not just to a sport that he had recently entered, but just in general, because the NBA, the NFL, they all have players' unions. So his loyalty was more towards the union itself and not wanting to disrespect the major league players who are in that union who are basically trying to fight for what they felt was right and not wanting to take his, uh, you know, shot at the limelight to move up to the majors. Oh, and he could have probably been like a replacement player. Like, oh, very well. And he would have been crowd, the star. You know? Yeah. But he was not going to betray the players' yep. union. Yep. And I think that's that's a level of just, uh, respect that doesn't get the credibility that it deserves because a lot of people wouldn't, you know, that loyalty doesn't exist in a lot of people. I would argue that that like doing that would be against his personality in the sense that um, I think that he would want to earn having I, he'd want to out have outplayed somebody and earned the right to be there as opposed to administrative issues to have caused it for him to be brought up. Like I could see him like somewhere just like fucking like swinging the bat around his fucking house, just pissed off, like, damn it. Like, like Vegeta style, just like, ugh, I use a sensu bean here, right? It's just like, hey, I didn't earn the chance to be here, and I'm sitting there playing with these replacement players. Like, he, I could just, I could see him being easily disgusted by that. Yeah. No, I agree. I Probably agree. both. Yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, uh, I mean, because didn't they, didn't they interview him about it? Like, didn't, didn't a reporter at that time bring it up? And so, so yeah. he had to, yeah, he had to actually kind of, I mean, maybe it was just a, a nice PA or uh whatever public public uh publicity announcement or whatever but like uh i'm pretty sure yeah he he did he did kind of say he sided with the players so that's pretty respectful i agree yeah no that was super dope uh staying on the topic of retirement though um at the end of episode eight we hear obviously like you know the controversy regarding the breakup of the team and we hear jordan voices displeasure with the decision to break up the team because he personally felt that they could have made a seventh run at a title. Other analysts, you know, on Fox Sports and ESPN and everyone discussing, you know, the series now uh, have gone on to say that the Bulls very well could have won 10 championships had Jordan not retired the first time. And obviously after the 98 season, um, do you guys think that they could have won more or do you think that the six championships were their maximum? I think that's their max. Interesting. Okay. Why? Uh, I think that like this, um, the, look, the Pacers took them to seven games. Um, the Utah, like say what you will about those Utah jazz teams. They were pretty stout and they had came through in a relatively, you know, I, I hesitate to say, um, they were sort of lucky to have gotten through, um, even the Rockets, um, at that time with, uh, Barkley, Drexler, and Olajuwon. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think they even, sh- I think they even showed, like, what, was it a game winner by, uh, John Stockner or something like that, or a last second shot that got them yeah, to the final? Yeah, that was yeah. for the 97 Western yeah. Conference final. So, those teams, so, the, those Rockets team, let's say, Scottie Pippen, uh, 98-99, Scottie Pippen joined the Rockets. We'll say he stays on the Bulls, but, but that Rockets team is still a force. They still have room to get somebody else. Um, were a Laker. The Lakers that year had four All Stars, 1997-1998. Four All Stars with even Kobe Bryant coming off the bench being an All Star. Um, That's right. They were, yeah, they were a 60 win team as well. 
They were going to get better. Um, then there's this little team that actually won the championship in 1999, and that's called Tim. Uh, that's called the Spurs with Tim Duncan. Now, don't forget um, the Admiral. And the Admiral still. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I look at it like this. They, while I think that the four times that, uh, or sorry, wait, I think it's only t- um, he's only played against them uh, three times, I believe. Sorry. Um, I think Jordan was uh, two and one against a rookie Tim Duncan, I believe. Uh, Tim Duncan just took like a huge step. And this is not like the Tim Duncan that we think of like, oh, it's boring bank shop. This is like, oh, crap. The Spurs 50-year-old guards that they had just missed a shot. Here comes Tim Duncan <laughs> just like doing putback slams, right? Because he had an ACL injury in 2000 where he missed the playoffs. And that's when he's like, okay, I'm not going to jump as much anymore. But if you, I, I don't know if you guys remember this, right? But I remember around that time, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big-time Jordan fan. And then this, I'm seeing this rookie come and his name is synonymous with dunking, right? And I'm like, fuck, this is great, right? You know, and he, you know, he wasn't hip or anything like that, but it's just like put back slams everywhere. And he was just like a freak. Oh, he's he a great player. Yeah. He peaks in 99. The, the thing about it, right. It's, this is why I say that they weren't going to like, they wouldn't have beaten uh, point blank. They wouldn't have beaten those Rockets teams that won it. Um, Hakeem Olajuwon. In 94, 95. 94, 95. Yeah. Hakeem Olajuwon destroyed the Bulls. Uh, the Bulls had a losing record against the Rockets. Even that's even including the years where the Rockets were shit. Um, they struggled. They struggled against like talented big men. Uh, even like even look at like when Jordan came back, you can make the case. Yeah, okay, he was still rusty or whatever, right? Shaq and Penny had swept them, and then they got Rodman, and then um, returned the favor and all. Um, they struggled against. They struggled against talented big men. Like Rick Spitz is one thing, and pa- Patrick Patrick Ewing's garbage. I don't care what he does. <laughs> <laughs> just like he's not a talented big man. He's just there. Um, Anything, I mean, like, didn't Jordan poster him like fourteen times? Probably, yeah. And he's beating him, he and he's like seven every... two and like three hundred pounds. And Jordan's like, wasn't he like one forty nine and and UNC like at the first? <laughs> yeah, I just I love how they showed that clip. And sorry, Chris, to interrupt, <laughs> but it was a clip at the um at the end of the ninety eight season where Ewing goes to shake his hand and, and Jordan basically starts trash talking him again, like saying like, you know, you wish you're out here. And, and Ewing just kind of goes, man, don't start that shit. And walks away. <laughs> like, I just, I think that reaction sums up everything that you guys are saying regarding their rivalry. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Yeah. Um, the, the, they won the championships that they could have in the nineties. The, I don't see why we need to take away three championships from the state of Texas. I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think uh, those are some really good points. I mean, I, I think it, it's hard to ever. Uh, I mean, it's it's romanticized enough, right? In in terms of you know, oh, and and it's almost confirmed since like Jordan took the break and then he came back. That team was still freaking great, though. Didn't they have like sixty eight wins that year? He was out or something. Something insane. Um, I think 50, 57. I think. Or fifty seven. Yeah, yeah. I got sixty eight. Ridiculous. But yeah, like 57, it's still a lot of wins. Um, so it wasn't like they were, you know, it wasn't like LeBron left the team and they had nine. But they wins. got eliminated by the Knicks. Right, right, right. But my point is, like, if Jordan was there, they probably would have won that season. Oh, yeah. And uh, and then who knows? Like, maybe, maybe they don't win the, the next three because there wasn't the same magic. Who knows, right? Like, so it's hard. It may, maybe... Uh, Phil doesn't stay around that long if it gets to four or five. I mean, the dude won three and then won three again, and they still wanted to get rid of him. It's so weird. <laughs> like, but, but yeah, so who knows? Maybe they break them up before they ever get to that point. Maybe they don't. I think the talent 
it's potentially there for them to to have done it. I think it would have been absolutely unbelievable to have happened but i don't know that just seems far-fetched in a lot of ways like a team's gonna figure them out by then and to your point the triangle always struggles against big men because you have to have like kind of a pansy center that just passed well <laughs> yeah i'm gonna have to agree with uh wiggins on this one um scott i think you're right i think the topic is romanticized a lot and i think it's just because of the what-if scenarios and so because none of this ever played out, people are always going to say, what if? And I think given, you know, especially how they highlighted the docuseries, how tired Jordan was, because it does take a toll on your body. Like you go through a full season and then still to have to go through the full playoffs um, all the way to the finals and then come back and do it all over again two more times. I think for now, a fourth championship, which would have been 94, his body would have just been, I don't want to say broken down, but he would have been tired. And having to face up against now a Rockets team that had Kenny the Jet Smith, Hakeem Olajuwon, Robert Ory, Sam Cassell, Scott Mad Brooks, Max. You know, like... Vernon Maxwell. Yeah. I mean, that team was stacked. And I think they would have whooped that ass had they faced him. If anything, I think it's best for them that that what-if scenario never played out because that adds now more to their legacy because people can argue on the other end. Um, and I will say the same thing about the 95 season. That Rockets team was still stacked. And that Magic team was good enough to still make it to the finals and get smoked. I don't know if the Bulls would have been able to match up with them. I think when we saw them play them in the 97 series, it was a little bit different because at that point, things changed, the roster changed, and they had figured them out in a way. But... Had they faced them the first time in 95, the way that they faced them in 96, I think it would have been a very similar outcome, perhaps. Um, now, going towards the latter stages after 98, um, again, I'll agree with Wiggins. I don't think that they would have had the talent to now compete with a team like the Spurs that had two talented big men with the Admiral David Robinson and Tim Duncan, who was coming you know, into his rookie season and was already killing it. Not to mention you had the Lakers who had Shaq and then a Kobe who was rising and two other all-stars on their team and Eddie Jones and Nick Van Exel. Um, NBA was just getting too stacked at that point and Jordan was just getting older. And they had obviously the salary cap working against them and some of their players were also starting to fade away. Like People forget to talk about how Rodman basically became a nobody after the 98 season. Like He got released by the Bulls, went on to play for the Lakers for like a month, they released him. And then he went to go play in Mexico, like basically bounced around the rest of the league. Like he faded away completely. So Rodman, who played a pivotal role in those 96, 97, and 98 championships, was now not the same player that he was. And then you have Pippen, who had also gotten older. I mean, he didn't really do much with the Rockets, went to Blazers. You know, there's just a lot of factors in there. And I don't think it would have played out to their Speaking favor. Of if Rodman, anything, maybe, maybe they didn't get Rodman if Jordan didn't leave that year. And then and then mm. come back. Yeah, like if he would have stayed point, and yeah. they and they and they won that next championship, maybe they never got Rodman then, you know. That's a good point. Like, if you look at ninety five, those Spurs teams were still like sixty win teams and maybe Dennis Rodman and David Robinson work something out where Rodman's like, Don't talk to me about the damn Bible <laughs> and then David Robinson's like, Don't talk to me about strippers and then they're like, oh, all right, cool, you know. Um, so yeah, very interesting. That good point that you brought up, Mike. All right, hey, it does add to their legacy, but that that's a huge what if because you might even be talking about Rodman stays, like as Scott said, right? 
uh, doesn't join the Bulls. Robin stays. Then we never even get Greg Popovich. Then, look, Boston Celtics fans are probably listening right now like, fuck yeah, please, please, Chris, right? <laughs> Spurs never take a dive. Um, and then the Celtics end up with the number one pick in 97. They get Tim Duncan. And then the Lakers don't win those championships that they won. Yeah. Yeah. Never know. A lot of what if scenarios. I thought I was going to get something on a mic on that one. <laughs> Tim, <laughs> nah, you're Tim trying Duncan to beat joined, me. Yeah, you're trying Tim to beat Duncan, me, bro. So Tim Duncan joins the Celtics in 97, and the next year the, uh, Paul Pierce joins them? I mean, that yeah, would be an interesting does, tandem. Mike but, doesn't I mean, like to talk about what ifs. What if Shaq would have been willing to stay with Kobe and play with them? <laughs> yeah, I could yeah. drop the same thing. What if their egos didn't clash? I mean, that Lakers team could have very well won five championships in a row. Well, they, well, they're gonna clash like that. That's not no, no. Well, you, we gotta do what if it's like if they leave, not like what if if their personalities were different. What is yeah? What, well, if, what if Michael Jordan was passive? <laughs> yeah. Um. So I'm gonna say this: we saw many topics of discussion throughout the series. Obviously, we've gone on to discuss quite a few of them. Um, one of the more controversial topics, and this is one that remains controversial still today. Um, is the reluctance of Jordan to voice his opinion in regards to politics and social justice issues. In the series, they highlighted the Senate campaign between African-American politician Harvey Gantt and alleged racist Jesse Helms. Well, I'm not going to say alleged because he basically was. Oh, he's straight racist, yeah. <laughs> um, but obviously you they brought alleged up... alleged KKK member, but definitely racist. 100% racist. <laughs> I'm yeah. trying to like, be... Did, I'm trying... When he won, didn't, didn't he make a racist joke about his win? Like... I, yeah, what no, did he, he say? He's like, there ain't going to be no celebrating in Coontown or something bad. <laughs> right, I don't yeah, think it was Coontown. But it was, I, was, I was trying to be politically correct. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they brought up the Jordan quote um, that he said to a teammate, Republicans buy sneakers too. Um, and so, like, comparing that to today, we've seen many current NBA stars like LeBron James jump on social media to voice their opinions on social justice issues. LeBron himself has prevailed in it. Uh, He successfully piggybacked off of a political slander move from Laura Ingram in which she told him to shut up and dribble. And he went on to uh, create a whole movement on it and what I consider a brilliant counter chess move on his part. Um, So my question regarding that is, what do you guys think about Jordan's reluctance to be like LeBron and, you know, voice his opinion on politics or you know, politically voice, you know, his opinion on social justice issues. I don't have a problem with it, to be honest. Uh, you know, my, I think that one of the brilliant parts I thought about uh, that the episode that that was in, they had Michael Jordan speak on it. Or sorry, sorry, Barack Obama. Yeah, they had him, Michael, of course, speak on yeah, it. They had Barack Obama, Obama. President yeah. Obama speak on it. And I think he broke it down, right, that it's like, you know, acceptance by white audiences as long as uh, it's great. Uh, they're willing to accept some type of black athlete as long as you don't speak on um, black issues and everything. Um, I don't, you know, I don't have a problem with uh, Michael Jordan not speaking on it in the sense that I got the sense that he just didn't care and that his focus was solely on basketball, uh, cigars, poker, um, women, champagne, poker, basketball, and golf. And a lot of he gambling. Didn't, yeah, a lot of gambling. And that he didn't focus on anything else. And that, like, all, and, and then also being a good dad, uh, it seems like. And it seems like the, the whole Jordan yeah, family is a tight knit family, right? So yeah. that was his focus. And, you know, and look, at the end of the day, he went and said, hey, you know what? I'll donate, I'll donate money to the guy, but I'm not going to speak out of pocket on something that I don't know a lot about. Yeah. And then somebody had overheard him or reported that he said on the bus. 
that, hey, Republicans buy sneakers too. Jordan says, confirms that he said it, said that it was a joke. I don't have an issue with that. And uh, I'll leave it at this, right? The, uh, what that, like, us having an issue with that and determining that somebody has to speak out, you know, I I really do find it unfair that, like, number one, if you have a platform, you want to use it, by all means, go do it. You don't deserve criticism when you don't, when you haven't. If you guys recall, um, a few years ago, Jim Brown had criticized Kobe Bryant um, and saying that he wouldn't have been, uh, that he wasn't black enough, that you know he grew up in Europe and that he wouldn't have been invited to the forum with uh, yeah. Bill Russell, yep. Jim Brown, yep. and everything. Yep. And Kobe gave a very cogent and great response around uh, divi- like divisiveness and um, black folks not needing to do this to each other, right? Um, yep. And and I think that when the criticism comes around, you don't speak up. And I'm going to use another Kobe example. Um, you know, there's the Trayvon Martin thing where he criticized LeBron and Dwayne Wade for speaking up um, about the Trayvon Martin issue and saying that they didn't have all the facts. It came off like I think that he was pressured to sort of like give a response to this or so, right? And I think this was a it, this was a Kobe Bryant that probably wasn't paying attention to sort of uh, you know necessarily politics or what goes on in the world or anything like that, right? And you see, you saw a lot more of sort of the activism side of Kobe Bryant a little bit later on in life, um, but around this time or so, right? He even, like, we had gotten a verdict um, where George Zimmerman was uh, found not guilty, and then, like, Kobe spoke out that time, but not actually at the time. Like, his criticism of LeBron and Wade wearing the hoodies wasn't, like, and I felt like a lot of that was due to pressure around people to say, hey, you know, what do you think about this? So what's your opinion on this? And just keep throwing it in his face, right? Because, hey, you know, you're the McDonald's guy and we see you in the Sprite commercials and we never heard you go and talk about yada yada and so-and-so, you know, you're popular, you're black, you haven't, we haven't heard you talk about Barack Obama and stuff like this. Um, look, if someone's not into politics, they're not into the social issues, that's fine, you know? They don't have to be Muhammad Ali. Um, it's hard to be Muhammad Ali, you know? Uh, and yeah. uh, look, I know... I know that uh, I unfairly ask people to have the same kind of courage that Muhammad Ali has and everything, right? Um, whether that's fair or not, you know, they don't—they certainly don't need to be as vocal activists or champion for social justice. They can be fine, tacitly approving of it. They don't necessarily need to be the out there advocate of it um, and provide their perspectives and opinion. Whether that's Kobe Bryant, whether that's Michael Jordan, whether that's Tiger Woods, whether that's Tom Brady or anybody, you know, yep. and spe- specifically with black athletes, it's hey. Um, look, it's hard. We, they have it hard, right? Barry Bonds had said this, right? That, uh, black people have it harder, right? Black athletes have it hard, right? It's like you, everyone's expecting you to step up and kudos to Jim Brown. Kudos to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kudos to Bill Russell. Kudos to Muhammad Ali, you know, um, thank inter- forever. Thank them for the sacrifices that they've made and for what they were willing to do. You know, I don't want to say that they did that. So other people don't have to, but you now other people do not have to do that. You yeah, know? So. I agree with you 100%. I mean, I think there's always going to be, or uh, it, it, it's almost just like assumed for black athletes that they need to be like activists. Like, mm-hmm. just imagine getting to the point where like we're going to start judging white athletes by not being like woke enough about certain things too. Like, is it eventually going to get that way? And I feel like, I mean, that like just as silly as that sounds. Like, I think it's just as silly that like every black athlete is supposed to be. Uh, a platform for progress. Um, I would love it to be so, but like everybody has their blind spots. Like nobody's perfect. I mean, as great as LeBron is doing and things, he also made some really, really stupid comments about Hong Kong and China simply because the NBA is trying to grow, you know, the Chinese audience. So it's like, you can't, you can't really know everything about every issue 
yeah. like we pretend you're supposed to know that now because of the internet. Um, I mean, in bringing up Kobe too, and I think Jordan's the same way, like, I, I, I always kind of took it for Kobe as being like, dude, like, I kind of have some, I got a little bit of a past. Like, I don't necessarily want to put my name on some shit mm-hmm. and then have some other shit taken, you know, in my past, you know, thrown in, in sullying that. So, like, mm-hmm. it's it's sometimes it's just easier to be unaffiliated. And it's not as though he's, I do have, I don't have that big of an issue because I love Charles Barkley. But the whole I'm not a role model thing, look, if you're, if you're a professional athlete, you are automatically, right? But you're not automatically an activist. So I would say it's, it's different, right? Damn, Scott over here on this Jimmer for debt tip, like shooting from half court and making him. Yeah, I, I, I love Jimmer. I love that Scott. <laughs> no, like don't. Scott, it's always that you, Scott. It's always all, I love that with Mike. All of your things are half. Like it's never a layup. Like you're being racist. Like he's white, so he has to shoot. For, like, he, nah, it, Scott. Scott. I got some that behind the headshot down because there was. You dropped some good points, and I gotta give you. I gotta give you your your, your flowers. Um, Wiggins, obviously, I expect nothing less from you, like your involvement in politics and everything. Like I always respect your your opinion, um, and I always think that you come, you elaborate well, and you know, um, you. you come from a good perspective. My thoughts, um, I think Jordan gets a lot of crit- criticism due to the fact that he's Jordan. Like I think in minority communities, we often look at superstar athletes as superheroes, and it's not always a fair way to approach them because they may not want to play that role to begin with, but in the sense of civil rights issues and politics, I think people often turn to those that they view as heroes to voice their opinion in a way that they can be seen as them coming to the rescue. Like, Chappelle famously poked fun at this um, in one of his stand-up routines when he talked about 9-11 and MTV Sway <laughs> going on, <laughs> going to Ja Rule to ask him like what his thoughts were. And I remember he was like, who the fuck cares what Ja Rule thinks? And people were criticizing Ja Rule thinks, damn! <laughs> And and using that same example, like people will criticize those same scenarios by saying, like, well, who the fuck cares what Jordan has to say anyway? But in an ironic way, we do that with athletes because these are people that we look up to and we view these people as leaders. And people as a society in general don't always maneuver as leaders. People still base themselves from the old ways of looking to the chief, looking to the wise elder looking to the person who's in a position of power to lead to be the one that's going to stand up for the rest of us and everyone else and be the one that says that things are going to be okay. And so I can't speak on Jordan specifically because I'm not a member of the African-American community, so I can't hold these expectations for him. But I can definitely relate to the sentiment because the Hispanic community is very similar. If someone like Canelo, for example, came out and said some wild problematic comments supporting Trump or downplaying like a civil rights issue with, let's say, like the migrant kids... Um, that were, you know, being separated from the parents. I know that if Canelo went on and said something in that sort, it would be a huge uproar amongst, like, the Mexican community, and people, including myself, would be quick to basically write him off. So I see where people are coming from with that, and I think, although it's unfair for them, and by them I mean the players, to be looked at in this way, I think people just, they idolize him so much that they just want to hear what they say because... They will take their opinion over someone like, let's say, the Reverend Al Sharpton, you know? And so, again, it's not fair to Jordan, but I can understand why the public feels that way about him. Yeah. And uh, uh, the great, great, solid, extremely great point, Mike. One of the other things they brought up is 
they asked, hey, how much is Magic Johnson and this and this player saying about it? You know? And I, I thought that was really poignant. It's like, look, uh, the, he was singled out over a lot of other superstars that weren't necessarily commenting. And, you know, look, obviously this wasn't covered in the documentary, and, and I, I myself don't know. Um, I'm unaware of anything around Magic Johnson having come out in favor of when Tom Bradley ran for governor or against George Duke Mayan or anything like that either. And so it, it does, you know, it does seem interesting. You know, it does seem interesting. Like, do you think that anybody was like, Hey, Dennis Rodman, what's your opinion on the mayor of Detroit <laughs> and yada, yada, <laughs> right. Or, or anything like that. No, and that's a good point. Cause like, obviously like recently we've seen Rodman, you know, with his relations to North Korea and, you know, he mm -hmm. went on to say that he wanted to bridge that gap and kind of be like the peacemaker. And a lot of people wrote him off saying like, well, you have no business being out there to represent us to begin with, you know, which yeah. I thought was kind of fucked up because I think if Rodman was really coming from that perspective of wanting to bridge that gap, like I think we should fairly give him the opportunity. Like, why would we write him off? But then if someone like, let's say Tim Duncan were to be the person to do it, like people would give him credit, you know? True. But um, well, because I think part of it is that like we also don't necessarily want Rodman being the <laughs> <laughs> messenger of any of this. Yeah, that's like Richie Incognito going like, "Hey, yeah, I'm gonna exactly. figure out this Palestinian issue." I got it. <laughs> we'll send Richie. We'll send Richie. He'll he'll negotiate the green lines. Yeah, totally. He's just gonna bully him the way that he uh, he did with that other offensive line. What was his name? Jonathan, Jonathan Martin. Martin. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, well, uh, I'm going to move on. I've basically taken our, usually t our usual topics and I've formatted them in a way to fit the series. Um, so I'm going to continue with a few more questions to ask you guys, but um, listeners, you guys will be able to relate because these are basically some of the same formats that we've used. So you guys all know First Team All Pro Casting, uh, which is where we take the person who basically led the cast in a movie or TV series. In this case, now this docu-series, we're talking athletes. So we got introduced to some other players during the first few episodes of the series. Um, they went on to basically highlight, you know, their upbringing and like their background and just their relationship to Jordan and what role they played in uh, the NBA's cha NBA championships. Who stood out as the best sidekick to Jordan throughout the NBA championship dominance to you guys? And aside from him, who would you guys say deserves the most credit for some of those wins? Scott, I'll let you go. I would say Phil Jackson for me. The uh, what a surprise. The, the no, Zen master. The, ze the Zen <laughs> no, master. No, I'm, I'm a little surprised. No, yeah, the, the Scott, Zen master, dude. I mean, Scott wrote Scott wrote three names. He put Phil Jackson, uh, John Paxson, Steve Kerr, <laughs> Luke Longley. <laughs> That's four names. Oh, okay, sorry. No. Yeah, Oh come on! To say that Phil Phil's influence to say that is only I can't as count? good as no was only as good as Paxson. No, no, no. Um, I think Phil Jackson got the most out of and th after after this as well. I think that's his true talent is um, is getting the most out of his team while also being you know like in bench in baseball like the bench coach. Like, he, at, on a personal level, he also had, has the ability to create these, like, great relationships. Um, and I think it's partly because he's a little crazy. I think it's partly because of his, like, well, he's not crazy. He's just a little bit out there, right? Like, they talked about, uh, in his book, he talks about doing acid. Like, I, I, I'm all for it. But, but at the same time, like, I think, I think his upbringing 
of being sort of uh, having overly religious parents, and then probably uh, like most people, you who who don't want to believe what their parents believe, you, you go to sort of the polar opposite of that. And I think he's able to combine all of these sort of worldviews to really understand where all of these people are coming from. Like, obviously, getting along with Rodman and how they highlighted that, I thought that was really, really awesome. Like, they had this Native American interest thing that, that sort of spurned this this great relationship. Uh, and then later on, Phil Jackson with uh, with the Lakers, his relationship and in, in being able to control our test slash Metal World Peace, who's also a little bit out there, right? Like, but but also still be able to switch gears and, and deal with someone like Jordan or Pippen or Shaq or Kobe. Like it's, it's a pretty amazing skill set. Uh, and one that I think also is unteachable to anyone because his coaching tree is just garbage. Like Kerr doesn't count. He was a player for him. He was never a coach under him. Like other than that, his, his coaching tree is probably the worst of any like all all time great coach. Damn. I agree, Scott. <laughs> I, like, I think had the Bulls stuck with Doug Collins, it wouldn't have been the same result. Like, Number I think one. he would have. Yeah, I don't think they ever would have won. Like, I, I think Phil Jackson brought in like a new age concept to, um, like the game of basketball, and, and a lot of it could be accredited to Tex as well because Tex was kind of like the, the yes. creator of the triangle offense, but. I think you're right. I think his ability to be able to control all these different egos not only was displayed with the Bulls, but also with the Lakers. You know, Kobe was basically like the second coming of Jordan. He was able to really manage his ego. And we saw that with the Lakers because when Phil Jackson left the first time, the Lakers basically tanked. And then he came back and he helped them, you know, win. He helped Kobe basically win his uh, fourth and fifth ring. And great analogy with Matter World Peace, I think. Outside of Rodman, Ron Artest is probably one of the other craziest, you know, basketball players. I mean, I guess not to the extent of Rodman, but as far as like a, a maniac, so to speak, like he's yeah. a perfect example. Um, Wig, what do you think? I got to go Scottie Pippen. Look, as simple as this. But I'm going to go to Stephen A. Smith now. Now, look. <laughs> Let me first out, but start by saying, when we talk about Michael Jordan, we talk about he's a silent assassin. He is a gamer. He is a true virtue. At the end of the day, though. No, we're not going to do it like that. However, I'll say this. Um, the Jordan's record without Scottie Pippen, uh, look, it's been said by people from Scott's neck of the woods, Ohio, um, <laughs> quite frequently. Uh, look, Jordan's record without Pippen, 154, 170 in the regular season, record in the playoffs, um, one and nine. Um, the, fact, you know, the fact of the matter is, Scottie Pippen, even as a developmental player, uh, still learning it's the impact that the impact that he brought just from a defensive side of things, right? You can make up the say, Hey, you know what? Um, 1989, Scotty Pippen's in, sorry, uh, 90, 1988 to 1989 season. Scotty Pippen is still, this is going to be very inside basketball, if you will. Uh, the two game, you know, uh, bulls two games away from the finals. Scotty Pippen only has like seven points. Michael Jordan has 35 points. You can't escape the fact that as soon as Scotty, came to the team, they went from being bounced and swept consistently in the first round to being uh, contenders in the conference in the conference finals. Uh, now, another thing. You could just say, hey, you know what? That's just good things coming together. Uh, completely understand that. After the uh, last dance, 1988-1999, uh, uh, the Houston Rockets, 
Uh, Scottie Pippen went and joined that team. They won 62% of their games. The year before that, the Rockets had only won five, uh, 50% of their games. Scottie Pippen only played on the Rockets one year. Uh, he goes over to the old uh, goes to the Portland Trail Blazers. They had won 70% uh, of their games in 1998, 1999, before Pippen had got there. They go to win 72% of their games the next year when uh, Scottie Pippen arrives. Again, not no, not that big. They got swept in the conference finals the year before um, uh, Scottie Pippen arrived. Then they go all the way to full, a full seven games, and they probably would have gone to the finals if they could have just held a lead um, and not blown a 15-point lead against Mike's disgusting Lakers and all. Uh, <laughs> I fucking love those Trailblazer teams, though, man. With Pippen, yeah, <laughs> Stoudemire, uh, she, Brian Grant. Brian Grant. Yeah. Uh, young Jermaine O'Neal. Young Jermaine O'Neal. Who is that? Yeah, like, who is their other? Uh, I know that was after Pippin when they got. I don't know, whatever. Those well, they're like, I think Bonzi Wells might have yeah, been. There. Bonzi. Yeah, Bonzi. Yeah, like, Scott's like, yeah, he's an Indiana Midwest guy. Yeah, he yeah. was great. No, they, yeah, they were great. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so he got them. Like, he, he carried that team. Um. Look, Jordan, there's enough evidence, I think, that Scottie Pippen elevated teams to say that. Uh, Jordan would have gotten some rings, I think, but the the ability of them to have that dominance, uh, I think that this was his best. Uh, I think you used the term sidekick uh, for this category. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Solid. I got to give a shout out to Rodman on this one, mm-hmm. and I know that he only played a role for the second three peat, but I feel like he played a pivotal role in assisting Jordan while Pippen was down. Um, I think he gets a lot of slack because of like all the negative publicity and the attention that he brought to the team. But in this case, I'm going to quote Jerry Jones on it and say that bad publicity is also good publicity. I think that the Bulls, already having won all the championships that they won, were obviously considered the number one team in the world. And I think his antics and his knack for basically staying in the media scope help maintain that focus around the Bulls because everyone was already talking about them. Like The Bulls were in every ESPN commentator's mouth when it came to basketball and so anything related to what Rodman was doing was also relating back to the Bulls some of that was bad but some of it was good I don't think that he gets the full credit he deserves because of his antics and I think it's a shame because he really was a huge contributor to that team we saw that when they got bounced by the Magic because they weren't able to deal with the bigs and so they brought him back on and in the 97 Eastern Conference Finals, we saw that it was a different story. 96, 96. Or 96, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, like, man, Mike keeps jumping like two years on that. He's <laughs> <laughs> um, just like, I want to get to where Kobe was drafted, so let's talk. <laughs> yeah, but I think just his skill set as a role player and being that defender and that rebounder, he displayed that when he was on the Bad Boy Pistons. And on that topic of the Bad Boy Pistons, for Rodman to go from being Jordan's nemesis someone that basically like was on your team's ass and like was one person that probably got on your nerves playing to now being one of his better teammates that shows his ability to transition from foe to friend and anyone Wiggins Scott you guys can agree with me anyone that's played sports can tell you that that's not always easy like having faced up against someone that you don't like and then now being on that person's team and having to squash those differences and then going on to build that chemistry to then win more championships. Like that says a lot about both parties. And I don't think yeah. Rodman gets the credibility he deserves. Certainly. Like Monix know- on semi-pro. <laughs> 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 you 
you, uh, is... do you guys know they didn't talk about this in the documentary for some reason, but Dennis Robin said he never had a conversation with Michael Jordan or Scottie Pippen uh, while he was with the Bulls. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, like, I don't know why they didn't talk about this uh, in here, but I guess if you look at like the backstage footage, like they like, well, they have like a lot of Dennis Rodman um, during the pieces where they interview about like currently about what took place in the past. There's not like a lot of footage of him in the locker room with the team or interacting with them in, during this 97, 98 season. That's a good point. Compared yeah. to the footage that we saw of him on the Pistons, where it seemed like he had a really good relationship with like Lambeer and some of the other guys. Um, yeah. Yeah, you're right. We don't really see that with the Bulls. Yeah. So it's a, so like interesting. Cause I was just like, I was thinking about, cause I, I had heard that they hadn't had a conversation. Then I'm thinking back, you know, it, the documentary did seem disjointed. Like there, like he was like, you know, Jordan said that he's like the last piece of the puzzle. And maybe that's just what it was that there wasn't any relationship between them. But like you bringing up the sort of him having been a nemesis and then being one of the trusted teammates. And it's like, uh, we look at them as like, you know, three amigos or what have you. Right. But it's like, Hey, maybe, maybe there's really just the dynamic duel. And then this like mercenary that this brought in for three seasons, you know? <laughs> yeah Ryan mercenary is a good analogy like yeah i, I think that's a good point point. and, and yeah. maybe that's also why he was like always super weird too like he got weirder definitely with the bulls and like no, I, think already, I think the spurs he was already spurs. getting weird with the spurs i think that's part of the reason why they dropped him but uh, i yeah. think a lot of that also has to do with like psychological i don't want to call them issues but maybe just out crying for help like well, he, he he has borderline personality disorder or bipolar. Well, I don't want to say bipolar, but maybe borderline personality disorder or something. So I'm not a clinical psychologist. I, I would but. go with personality disorder just in the sense that I feel like a lot of his um, antics are uh, basically done in a way to gain attention. And yeah. that's, that's obviously a personality disorder symptom. But um, I just think that a lot of it has to do with like his upbringing, like, I don't know that they touched up on it too much on the series because I didn't hear it, but he talked a lot about how when he was growing up, his sisters, who also played basketball, uh, tended to get most of the attention from his mom. And so no matter what he did, he tried to live up to his mom's expectations to try to get her attention and have her be proud of him, and he never really gained that. And so I think a lot of that had to do with, you know, just his mental state and now his antics for now... Well, because he mentioned in the series that he never touched drugs, so I would say more Unlike of a substance what we're abuse. Right now. Yeah, I mean he was drinking. There's I like that one scene where he's no. literally drinking a can of beer and then goes on a motorcycle. <laughs> but that that was a perfect way to end that episode. Yeah, like saying that he went to Vegas and then he's just out here like you know, kind of like a rebel, the rebel without a cause like type yeah. of theme that they brought along with it. And that's part of what I liked about the series. Like, I think cinematically, they just they did a really good job of putting this all together. Um, totally. But before I go into this whole, like, deep dive on, like, and uh, this rabbit hole on, like, mental health, um, I'll just, so I'll leave it at that. that. Uh, yeah. I'll move on to the Stone Cold appearance. We got introduced to a lot of other Bulls players, most of whom were role players during their championship runs. And Scott, I know you're chomping at the bit with this one, so... What guest star came in and dominated a series, a la Stone Cold interfering in a match with a chair and stunner, and outshined the participants in the match? I don't know if he outshined them, but I think I was just sort of pleasantly surprised. I think it was the third episode, 
or was it the second episode? Um, they highlighted they highlighted when Bill Paxson uh, during the series. Uh, it, it was like a big thing between in, in the playoffs with Phil Jackson getting Michael to really understand uh, passing and the triangle and all that. And he's like, if you're penetrating, like who's open? And he's like, Bill Paxson. And then he would penetrate. Then Bill Paxson made like six three pointers or something in that game. Was that the was that the Cavs? The whoever it was. But but that wasn't the thing. Uh, they were interviewing him a lot, and I was like, this guy's like kind of cool. Like, he's just chilling, giving some insights, doing his thing. I just didn't, I didn't just did, knew nothing about him, so I was kind of surprised that he was pretty cool. And he was white, so you were like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm noticing a trend with uh, Scott's uh, selections here. Phil Jackson's not even not even one race. He's all races, so. Yeah. <laughs> he's all oh, races sorry, combined I, I, sorry, into I, one I, man. Oh, so I got a... Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Nas. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Also, what's uh, what, uh, what do you call? Wasn't John Paxson's brother the damn? Uh, wasn't he like a? Was he the Cavs GM or was he the Bulls GM? Or was that uh, just this John Paxson actually? Uh, is his brother that Bill be- Paxson? No, no, <laughs> oh, I wrote Bill. No, no, not Paxton. Pax. John Paxton. Did he become like the Bulls GM for a while or what? Uh, Am I mistaken? Uh, no, that sounds right. It wasn't the yeah. Cavs. Okay, yeah, I, I, I was thinking that maybe at some point it went to the Cavs. I was just D- D- Danny Ferry, I guess, or what? Yeah. Okay, never mind. Um, uh, yeah. Hold on, I'm fact checking. Yeah. Was he the Cavs? He was vice president of basketball operations for the Bulls from '09 to 2020, and okay. yeah, was a GM from '03 to '09. You're right, and he's from Dayton, Ohio. No wonder you picked him. Oh, that he is. He is from Dayton, Ohio. I always forget. Wow. (laughs) He also went to high school in Kettering. Yeah, he went to Kettering, didn't he? But see, Uh, he went went to to Archbishop Altar. Oh, Altar. And I grew up literally one block away from that school. I forgot he went to Altar. That's crazy. Let you in? (laughs) No, I didn't go to Catholic school. It's it's obviously. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why Bauer picked Paxson. Yeah, it was. That's all totally subconscious. (laughs) Because I knew that Scott grow- I knew- like he didn't know this. Yeah, no, I knew growing up he was. I totally forgot now. But you yeah. just you know all- your fellow Ohioans. I when do. I'm just drawn to them. <laughs> the call drops yeah. and you just know. Um. So for myself, let's see. I'm gonna go with. Uh, in terms of just don that came in and dominated. I mean, I really do think that we got to give some love to our good friend Jerry Krause. Oh god! <laughs> oh Does shit! He ca- but he, this he came out of left field, bro. <laughs> the Carol Baskin of this of the series. <laughs> no, uh, I'm just. <laughs> but no, legit, I kid. Uh, <laughs> I got it. I got to hear this, bro. Hey, I'm, I'm no, 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 no. I'm just messing with. It's not really Jerry Krause. <laughs> I wanted to fuck with you all, just to see. Oh, <laughs> just just to see what you guys would say. No. uh for me, I got I got I'm surprised he wasn't just eating a bucket of chicken like every time he was on the fucking show. Just like just greasy chicken all over. Yeah, Scott, like... you're just as bad as Michael Jordan making fun of him. <laughs> Damn, uh, Wiggins, I really thought you were gonna elaborate. I was like, dude, I, I gotta hear this. Yeah. No, I gotta go I gotta go with Gary Payton on this. Um, Payton? I know that oh, nice. Yeah, I know that everybody was just like uh 
what do you call it? Everyone in the, like a lot of the people in the documentary were, you know, they were hyping up George. Like it's you know it's supposed to be a Bulls documentary, right? And I understand that you can't talk '90s Bulls without talking uh, Jordan, obviously, right? But like he, him being much of the focus, right? And then I think they did some elaboration slightly on like uh, Scottie Pippen's background, but they. Ma- basically made it seem like everyone in his family was dead now that they couldn't interview him or anything, right? <laughs> they did. Like, they have Jordan's mom on there, and they don't, like, no one in Scottie Pippen's family shows up, right? No, his mom was there for, like, one second. Oh, sure. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, well, wait, what, was it like... a present? It was a present clip or a past clip? Nah, no, it's it present. From, yeah, it was from Oh, this. okay, all right. Never mind. I, I stand correct. But it, was, it wasn't a great quote. It was literally, she goes, uh, she goes... My boy Southern. Yeah, it goes. Yeah, basically. But no, she goes. She goes. Uh, he sent me this because she bought. Because he's the one guy was like he bought. He bought his mom a house. He's like, yeah. He he got me everything I need. I can't expect anything more. I think he loves me, but I know I love. Oh, him. you're right. It, <laughs> like, it was. It was in regards to his contract situation. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Uh, okay. <laughs> that, that, like, I think that contract situation might be why they call him No Tipping Pippin. Why he's yeah. so cheap and things. Uh, okay. So my yeah, but my pick was Gary Payton just for the fact that everybody was like completely on Jordan's nuts during this, and Gary Payton wasn't afraid just in the actual interview that they got from present day to say, you know, I'm gonna step to him and I challenged him, right? And he let it know. And then even like you look at like they have the uh, quick scene of the '98 All Star game where. Uh, they're doing some John back and forth and everything like that, right? And uh, joking with each other. And then Gary Payton was just like showing no fear. You know, I appreciate that. And to me, um, I think Jordan got touched. Uh, like, I know he's saying that uh, Gary Payton was no problem for him. I mean, that's a lie. It is. Uh, if you just look back at the finals, like Jordan's like uh, percentage dropped down to like 40% uh, made field goals. He's like shooting for like six for 20 five and shit like that right yeah so gary gary payton completely bothered him and then jordan wanted to laugh it off when he was watching the thing but you know he's sitting there thinking about like damn almost didn't get a chance to win this on uh father's day and everything like that and my dad's death wouldn't have meant shit no i'm just kidding um uh, but what do you call it <laughs> he almost deprived me of like no uh gary payton i think that 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 legit bothered him that he's like hey here's this is another this is the at that time gary payton was the only other guard to be uh to win defensive player of the year i believe and I think that, that, like, Jordan's like, okay, that was something that was specifically me. And then Gary Payton's one that comes from a little bit newer generation, right? Like, a lot of stories came out around, like, Jordan, um, like, told Wu-Tang or whatever, who the fuck are you guys or whatever, I don't want to meet y'all or whatever. And Gary Payton just comes straight out of Oakland, completely just hip-hop, right? Like, this brashness that Allen Iverson would drape himself in, right? And then Gary's mm-hmm. just like, oh. He goes, he's just sitting there like, no, this motherfucker, all right, I ain't got no fear. Let me cover him. He told George Carl, look, he goes, I know you went to North Carolina. Give me that boy. Um, I just thought that was like the briefness that we saw out of it was just great. Yeah, uh, I'll give you that one. Um, and there, and there's not a only reason. I, go, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say, there's a reason why they tried to, they barely covered that finals also. Uh, if, I felt like they spent more time on the other uh, finals teams that he played versus the, like that, that thing that got like a fucking two minute segment. Right. And like the blazers who were like forgetful got a long ass uh, piece. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the blazers got a longer piece cause it was the first one, but I, I agree. Well, that's I, the second one though. Oh, you're right. Yeah. The first yeah. one was the Lakers. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. The first, well, I, I tend to forget that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're right. I, I expected him to cover more of that one, and I was a little disappointed that they didn't talk about it as much because I, I wasn't a Sonics fan, but I liked the Sonics in the 90s. Um, yeah, I like that. And too. I know you're going to talk shit, Chris, 
But let me just say this. They are Western Conference rivals to the Lakers, but they aren't rivals in the sense where, like, we're neighbors. Like, I don't see them. I didn't see them the same way that I see, like, the Clippers, you know, where it's, like, we're crosstown rivals or the way that I look at the Warriors. Like, I don't have a problem with the Blazers. Like, I like Dame Lillard. I like McCollum. So I felt like the Sonics back then were kind of the same way for me. Like, I like Gary Payton. I like Sean Kemp. Were they um, a division rival at that time? They're, uh, that's what I'm saying, though. But they yeah. weren't, like, crosstown rivals. Well, uh, they, so I, I do wish like the, the and fucking they became Oklahoma Red Sox City, who was also rivals, right? Yeah, but, I mean, the point that I'm trying to get to is that I do like Peyton's brashness, and I like the competitive aspect that he drove in it. And, like, the clip that they showed Jordan on the iPad and then his response, like... I think that was one of the more genuine clips that we got to see that maybe wasn't scripted um, or that Jordan had more control over to where we got to see like his competitive drive. Yeah. I they, they, am... they had another like similar, sorry to cut you off. There was a similar one that they had with Isaiah Thomas where he's just like, he's like, Isaiah's full of shit or whatever. Right. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. But we know they don't, <laughs> we know that beef is real. So. Um, I'm going to have to go with Steve Kerr on this one. And the reason why I'm going to have to say that, like, I wasn't really a Steve Kerr fan. Like, fuck the Warriors. I hate them. And everybody that knows me knows how I feel about them. And so him being the coach, like, I was kind of like, whatever. Like, I remember him being on the Bulls. I remember him being on the Spurs, you know. And I, I obviously know that he's a three-point shooter. But I didn't know his background story. And so, like, them telling the story about, you know, his upbringing, like, him coming from a very, very educated family. Like, what ended up happening with his dad was a tragedy. And so, like learning that about him and the person that he is like my respect level went up for him because you see how these tragedies can mold people and so for him to be able to overcome that and still be able to achieve his goal especially like with what he went through like he didn't get many scholarship offers coming out of high school and so he even went on to say like i went to u of a because they're the only school that offered me a scholarship last minute last minute I, i didn't even see the school i just accepted it and so like i always appreciate the underdogs and so knowing that he was drafted in the second round by the Suns was basically a role player and worked his way up to you know make it to an NBA roster bounced around accepted his role and perfected his role as a role player to become that guy and then come through clutch with the three-pointers to beat the Jazz not once but twice I think that really says a lot about his character and so my respect to him and the reason why I give him the uh, Stone Cold appearance is because I think he played a pivotal role in the 97 and 98 championships. And he also wasn't afraid to back down to Jordan when Jordan punched him. And that as well. <laughs> yeah, I think he, he stepped up when he needed to. And he and this could have been a tactic from Jordan, but I think he helped him grow a pair, you know, and really mm-hmm. become a man. Yeah. Also, I didn't know um, that he played on the Cavaliers. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't it's know like that either. Scott? Scott, why didn't you tell us that? Yeah, I don't know. Was that like one season? The uh, thing is, yeah, I think this, you're... I was actually going to ask you this, Mike, as well, or and Chris, you too. So here's the thing. I mean, I liked the Cavs back then, but Chicago's not really that far from, from Dayton. And how do you not like Michael Jordan? So you were so a like, bandwagon I mean, hopper. A big... No, I okay. was, I was and there was the greatest player in the world. Like, it was like... <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, we were, we were bummed when he, when he won, like with that shot, but at the same time, it was just like, 
I almost liked him, and then I was like, all right, oh, these man. guys are amazing. Steve I'm going to root for that. So, like. Steve Kerr was actually got traded to the Cavaliers like two months, two or three months before the shot happened. So, he was there. Wow, he, <laughs> he was, was there. there. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting then because Ron Harper was there, and so it's like they both went on to become teammates and win chips Yeah, with Jordan. Uh, before we go, oh, off wait, topic, sorry, uh, Scott, Scott, we didn't let you finish, though. Uh, so yeah, I guess my question was like, Mike, while, while, when Jordan beat the Lakers, uh, were you like, did you not like Jordan? Was it? Yeah, like, no, dude, uh, I've had this conversation with Wiggins off Mike on many occasions. I was fuck Jordan all the way. Like I've been a Laker fan since I was, you know, a kid. And a lot of that is based off of like my upbringing. Like my dad's a big Laker fan. So like being from Southern California, like, you know, those roots are there. And obviously I didn't understand it. Like when they beat the Lakers, I was like four years old, but I remember my dad being pissed. And so like, you know, you, you kind of just go with it. And so as I got older and I kept seeing Jordan win and knowing that he was a man that beat the Lakers basically at our last chance at like, you know, a championship because, you know, Kareem was gone. Magic was getting older. I don't know. I just, I hated him from a basketball perspective. I, I liked what he brought for the culture. So like, obviously like space jam, like I still supported it. Like it, it was kind of like a 50, 50 relationship for me, but I've being a Laker fan, especially when Kobe and Shaq came along, like there was no way that I could ever support it, you know? Right. So that's just my point. Anyway, who, who did you grow up as a fan? <laughs> Clippers. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Always, even back then. Yeah. He's one of the few people that actually can say that he's been a Clipper fan since day one. Like, he's... I mean, I've I've known him always as a Clipper fan, but yeah, he's one out of like a thousand people that I know that yeah. I will actually sit here and say like, all right, yeah. So yeah, when you I get your flowers on that fandom, thank you. But everybody else is a bandwagon, especially now that Kawhi's there. Yeah. Um, when, what do you call it? I remember the, I think when I, there was an episode, I want to say there was a, I want to say this is the timeline. There's an episode of the Fresh Prince where Santa Claus is wearing Clippers gear. And I was like, oh, that's pretty dope. I'd, um, and then I was like, all right, you know, and then, uh, I want to say this is coincided. I know that as soon as I moved to California, I became a, I was a, I was a huge Jordan fan, but I was really a Bulls fan. Um, so I knew who Phil Jackson were, was, I knew who Scottie Pippen was, I knew who Michael Jordan was at the, when I was little, uh, like five or six, I didn't know who any of the other guys were. Um, and then when I moved to California, we didn't have cable, but somehow San Diego got, uh, LA Clipper, I think I want to say KUSI or maybe we got KTLA or something like that. Um, KTLA five. K- okay. Yeah. So I want to say San Diego somehow had gotten the broadcast of the Clipper games. And so I never got to watch the Lakers. And then. Uh, essentially the Clippers were always on. And then I was like, all right, you know, there, I was like, I remember this from the you know, Fresh Prince episode. And, uh, you know, it's, I asked my stepdad what a Clipper was. He told me it was, uh, that it was Naval, that was uh, nautical related. I was like, oh, it's like the Navy, right? And, you know, you, you know, he's in the Navy. So I was like, all right, well, this is cool. Um, and so, yeah, just like that. Yeah. That's what's up. Yeah. There's not like a lot of good um, or anything, but so, at all <laughs> what did you guys what did you guys think was the best episode of the series one real quick episode one episode yeah. one number one okay. the music like the, the tone that it set with the music it was playing you had the you had the fucking i ain't no joke by eric b and rock kim man i was like all right that's fucking great yeah then the, mm. dun, just that intro dun, yeah. dun, dun, dun. and then also 
it, it, it brought me back to a song that I hadn't heard in forever, right? It goes, oh, light-skinned guy with dimples and a kangle. So uh, I'm like, all right, hold up. I know this. All right, you mentioned dimples. My <laughs> ass knows was good, right? Then it's just that, you got to hear the sirens, and it goes, oh. And then you got the fucking LL Cool J, I'm bad. And I was like, this oh, is oh. the most fucking the fitting fucking shit on the planet, right? And it's like, and then, like, you just got the stuff of, like, Michael Jordan, right? And he's talking about the Bulls. Uh, before they got there, right? And they were called the, uh, tra- what are they called? The Traveling Cocaine Circus or something like that? Yeah. Okay. So, so, <laughs> so it, like, uh, hearing about all, like, hearing about all this or whatever, right? And, like, people don't realize how fucking, like, the Bulls essentially had Jerry Sloan and Bob Love. Then they went 10 years without doing anything, and they're only popular because the coach from the White Shadow TV show said he played for the Bulls. And that's the only way people knew they were still a franchise. <laughs> and then Michael Jordan came along, right? And, like, I think they lost Reggie Theus the same season they drafted uh, Michael Jordan. Right, Scott? I know you like Reggie Theus. Um, <laughs> anyhow, uh, so, like, watching that and then, like, the uns- the footage of him, like, uh, as a freshman at North Carolina, then some, like, showing him, like, uh, as, like, a rookie and everything like that, yeah, sitting that on the dope. couch and, like, having nothing. I was like, man, this is fucking great. Right? I could have watched that. I wish they would have had, like, a lot more of that that they put in. I just love that. Yeah. The letter he sent to his mom. Oh, that, yeah, was, need more. that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Need more, send more stamps. Yeah. Not a college kid. His mom got some strong genes, um, too, God. doesn't she? Yeah, they oh, look yeah, just like does. each other. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, I, I, I like that one, too. I, I think my favorite was, and just because it's like, uh, again, childhood memories, and I was just obsessed with it. Uh, I love the, uh, the, dream, the Dream Team episode. Um, okay and i i just love the dream team man like what was it like was it burger king that had it or was it mcdonald's mcdonald's i think yeah uh i just remember yeah getting all all that shit like the happy meals and getting like the characters and all, all that stuff they had uh that team was just so incredible and it was just like we we kind of had one what four or five years ago we had a pretty good dream team again, but for a while it, it felt like that was the last one where it was just like, now we're going to send, you know, mm-hmm. first year players and stuff. And I'd stuff have to, yeah, I agree with you. You know, it was just amazing to kind of live through that and, uh, and, and get to watch some of those highlights and all, and all that. It was pretty cool. No, I agree. I, I think that was very nostalgic to see like them talk about the dream team. Cause I don't think, the younger generation understands like how big of a deal that was like even me as a little kid like i just remember all the buzz surrounding it and like how everybody was just like ecstatic over like the dream team and i would even say like a lot of that followed up with like the 96 team you know given that the olympics were here in in the u.s but just like that 96 team was stacked as well um right obviously like not knowing like the history behind it of like how pro players didn't really participate in the olympics um i think just seeing all these stars get together and just dominate. I mean, that was a huge deal in the 90s, so it was, it was really nice to see that. 90, the 96 um, team would have for... beat the 92 team, by the way. I agree. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> I agree. Sha- Shaq sure. and Hakeem. Right, yeah. Done. Yeah. yeah. No, that team was ridiculous. Um, I think for me, I'm going to say that the last episode was my favorite. I think it was very meaningful. And I think that they did a really good job just wrapping up the series beautifully from an artistic and cinematic perspective i think my favorite line was an interview they they flashed back to an interview with jordan um when he got drafted by the bulls and he's quoted as saying like 
I just want the Bulls to become like an uh, an iconic team like the Lakers and the Celtics and win a lot of championships. And then having shown just minutes ago like them winning their sixth championship and being deemed like the greatest dynasty team of the 90s and perhaps in general, like overall, I think it was just a beautiful way to like tie that back. Mm -hmm. And so I think it closed off the theme of the entire show perfectly and wrapping it up as what it was, the last dance. Totally cool. So moving on, uh, I'm going to go with the category of Hey Was That, which is when we see someone make an appearance briefly uh, who was well known. So in this case, (laughs) we saw a lot of (laughs) fuck you. (laughs) Um, We saw a lot of guests throughout the series, many who were directly involved with the Bulls, others who simply witnessed the era as fans or as rivals. Was there anyone whose guest commentary stood out to you? Or was there anyone who you feel was not necessary to interview? I loved Thin Charles Barkley. Yeah, I forgot he existed. <laughs> Yo, my girl has the same reaction. Wait, you wait, you guys didn't know that Charles I mean, Barkley was around back then, or what? No, I did. Of course, I did. Of course, I did. I knew he was yeah, on that no. team too. But I'm just saying, seeing Thin Charles oh, Barkley thin, oh, after seeing oh, not, thin. yeah, Thin okay. Charles Barkley. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I think that, and I guess like for me or whatever, it, I mean, like, huh, the hey was that, I, like, I mean, they had like a quick moment with Grant Hill where they're going to talk about, uh, I'll just let you go, Mike, and then I'll talk about mine, actually. <laughs> Why, is yours going to be, are you about to go on a no, rant? not at all. Just, I, <laughs> I have, I just have a feeling, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have a feeling you're going to piggyback of mine and you obviously claim, you know what I'm going to say. So, um, for me, I'm going to have to say the addition of what? Oh my, I was not even expecting that. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Fuck. I thought it was someone else, man. It's I'm shocked. Come on, bro. For an actor, I would have, I would have expected a better fake reaction. (laughs) (laughs) Um, listen, I didn't know the extent of their relationship. Like obviously, being a Kobe fan, being a Laker fan, like I always knew that Kobe mirrored his game after Jordan, and I knew that he wanted to chase his legacy. And one of the biggest disappointments for me as a fan was not being able to see him win his sixth ring. Um, with that said, I didn't know the extent of their relationship as far as like Jordan being his mentor. Like I knew he looked up to him, I knew he wanted to be like him, but I didn't know that they were that close. Um, so just hearing the little bit of the interview which i was kind of disappointed with because i was expecting more but i mean given the circumstances of what happened and just the person that kobe is maybe there wasn't an opportunity to open up um but i just wish there would have been more commentary but just the fact that you know you get to hear jordan like refer to him as his little brother and we got a little bit of of that as well when he um when he spoke at kobe's funeral so just both being kind of like private people and then getting a glimpse as to what their relationship was like and the extent of the relationship. I, I think that was really nice to see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for myself, um, I really appreciated the Grant Hill, uh, very brief, extremely brief, but I want to say that in this scene, uh, while we're in Kobe was joking about, uh, Michael Jordan, Grant Hill is like, he's like a fourth year player or whatever. And he's coming in and he's in there like joking around. He goes, look, man, he ain't letting you, he goes, he ain't just letting you take it or whatever, right? He goes, I'm just going to force and feed the habit, right? And you're getting, like, Grant Hill commentary. And I thought that was poignant because 
when Michael Jordan first retired, it became, okay, who's going to be the next Michael Jordan? And then Grant Hill is heralded as that. And then the person that ultimately became that, that being Kobe Bryant, you're getting some commentary between Grant and Michael on it, which I found was super interesting. And it was just gr- a great, nice little touch to see. Uh, first of all, the teal, those awful, god-awful teal uh, Pistons <laughs> jerseys, <laughs> right? Detroit yeah, Pistons. right, from the 90s. <laughs> or Doug Collins, like, it's like, remind me of Home Improvement, right? Uh, it was the worst. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, so, like, getting... That logo was trash, too. Well, I like their logo. So, yeah, it's not bad. On that jersey? Well, it's the same that they have on their blue, red, and... Uh, it's the same logo that they've always had. Uh, yeah, well, I think just the way that it matches with the color. Well, like, yeah, well, uh, it's all over the, the place. Yeah, it is all over the place. But yeah, yeah, yeah it's. Uh, I, I liked. I preferred the uh, light blue and orange Cavs jerseys to the. The Cavaliers have like no. Uh, yeah, the Cavaliers have no identity. They're just like right, we've had so many color schemes. <laughs> just. It's just, it's just They're LeBron. They're just trying to figure he it out. the entire economy of Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, so I like I – like, nah, But that's a good point, Wiggins. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Just, Continue. Yeah, no, well, that, that was about it because, like, the, sh- the scene was, like, it's very, very short. You didn't get anything else out of Grant Hill or so. But no, just, like, the thought. It's like a North – it's a Duke guy who's seen as the heir apparent mm-hmm. to a North Carolina guy, right? Um, you got a guy ushering in sort of the uh, – the, the making the making of a program, Grant Hill, right? I know Christian Leitner is obviously uh, is seen like they're, they they coincided, um, like that you know that piece, right? And then th- them just like joking around the guy that is no one like I don't think anybody would have guessed it uh, that Kobe would have surpa- surpassed Grant Hill so quickly too, and like Grant Hill sitting there doing the commentary, right? And, and this this All Star game is Kobe Bryant's ascendance and his coming out party. And this is right before it that they're joking about it, you know? That's a good point. Because I don't yeah. think people realize, like, how big Grant Hill was at that time. And and it could be because of his absence from, like, his injuries and everything. But, like, coming out of college at Duke, like, he was a man. And, you know, we got a glimpse of it when they did the 30 for 30 on the Fab Five. Yeah, had them like, old just man how... knees. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, if you recall in the 90s, like, Grant Hill was a shit. Sprite like, commercials. Sprite yeah. commercials. To yeah. him, you know, marrying Tamia, who was, you know, a well-known artist. Um, his shoe line with Fila, like, I had him. You know what I mean? Like, Fila. <laughs> Grant Hill was a big deal, like, and I, I think you're right. I think from the expectation for him to take Jordan's throne and then obviously his injuries and everything else, and then Kobe, this kid who was a 16th pick coming straight out of high school who nobody really um, knew too much about. Mm-hmm. Aside from him being like considered one of the top high school um, standouts in the country, but you know it, it's it's different going from high school to like yeah. the actual NBA. And, and well, so, that's I think that's a good point too because other players have done it, but this was kind of the I mean the the rules changed right after right. that, like or 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 it just started becoming more common where kids were coming right out of high school into the yeah. NBA. Yeah, I think well Kevin Garnett was like, sort of the made it in vogue to do i think first yeah. one right well not yeah, the, well yeah. like moses malone was tet the first, the first yeah, one but right. first one in 20 years right. you know yeah right that's a good point so uh, i'm going to use that to segue into the next topic which is continuity issues um i'm going to use this category in a different sense um one of the main topics of the last episode was whether upper management committed an error in breaking up the team after the 98 season obviously we've talked about you know that already and Jordan strongly believing that they could have competed for more 
do you guys think that the dominance of the league would have would have continued, or do you think there would have been some issues that could have prevented uh, another run? And Scott, you mentioned the the changing of the rules, so I'll I'll let you start with that one first. Well, I mean, I think they were twilighting, and we kind of talked about this earlier. Um, but it was, yeah, I mean, they definitely messed it up. I mean, it was kind of a Jerry Jones, uh, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy Johnson, Johnson kind of situation. Are right? you taking like, another shot at me? No, no, no. I'm just saying it just, <laughs> it, it was, it was like, it was like he wasn't, Jerry wasn't, Jerry Krause or whatever donuts wasn't, wasn't, uh, getting enough credit. Uh, it just seemed really weird, and and I thought it was interesting too because he handpicked Phil to be the coach after getting rid of Doug Collins. Who was Doug very... Collins was successful at the time too, right? Yeah, exactly. He just went to the Eastern Conference Finals, like, uh, yeah, just kind of a crazy. And maybe that's just his his whole thing is like, oh, I'm gonna show all these people that I just keep making all these right moves or whatever. Um, but it was it was awesome to see Phil Jackson succeed after um speak for yourself and uh (laughs) (laughs) no i mean i again i'm a phil jackson fan so i i uh yeah i i i'd like it that he kind of had a long successful career and kind of continues to have his imprint and jerry Krause people are like ugh, gross all right wig yeah i mean look it's there, I don't think there's anyone that I don't think you can get anyone that can say that. Hey, you know, it's a good move to break the team up, right? Whether or not they would have continued their dominance, I I personally find that irrelevant because the team should have been kept together. Um, there was no reason to break it up. There's no reason to go into a season when you just won a championship and go, oh, okay, well, we're not bringing back Phil. Phil we're not bringing you back. You know, um, what Jerry Krause was doing, like you can make the case for all the for all the great shit he did as a GM and orchestrating his team. He ranks middle of the road for me. When I think about executives, the fact that you break up a good thing that is going All right in business, you follow the money. You don't just go, Oh, you know what? We're ranking a lot of profits. Fuck. No. After this quarter. No, I'm sorry. Uh-uh. We're not going to do this. That's profitable. We're going to well, stop he it. He didn't do it anywhere else either. Oh, well, he, well, he stayed yeah, with exactly. the bull. Yeah. He, he didn't do it anywhere else. Either. Yeah. And it's like some of the, I, like, also I, Look, as great of an evaluator of talent as he is and the moves he's made, like, he essentially, uh, I think you can make the case that Jordan early on was holding the team back and sort of placating Jordan, and Jerry Krause just put his foot down and said, okay, we can do anything else. If we do something different or whatever, we win, right? Because, like, the getting rid of Charles Oakley to get a center and Bill Cartwright and then that opening up, you get get the chance for Scottie Pippen, and then getting rid of coaches like Stan Allback and Kevin Lafferty, and uh, Doug Collins, who just said, just give the ball to Jordan, right? Versus only says, we're going to play a team way, right? Um, now, obviously, not everybody can come up with uh, that. But it does look like that was the one thing holding them back. And then he just randomly picks uh, Phil Jackson. Hey, I know you've been the assistant coach for one year after coaching in the uh, CBA. Just go ahead and replace him. And then he has some weird infatuation with Tim Floyd, of all people, um, to come replace him. Just like, oh, hey, you know, I don't know how things are going for you down there in Louisiana when you're sitting there eating gumbo and fishing and everything. But uh, we just beat Carl Malone, and he's from Louisiana. So maybe we'll just let you, you can be the coach next, and we'll tell Phil to fuck himself, <laughs> right? So, yeah, just uh, there's no reason to break the team up at all. Like It's just a dumb move all across the board. Disastrously bad. 
Um, Wig, I'm going to agree with you. Um, I'm going to blame, take some of that blame off of uh, Jay Krause. Like, I, I think he's become villainized, and I think the fucked up part about it is like he isn't really here to defend himself. Um, well, not, looking he, at he's it now, definitely not from, here to defend himself. <laughs> <laughs> looking at it from my perspective, I think that a lot of that blame should also go to the salary cap. I think that to continue that run, a lot of these players would have been demanding more money. Obviously, we saw some of the highlights um, about Pippen and about him being one of the most underpaid players in the league. And so, like, obviously, the guy was going to demand his money, which rightfully so. He earned it. He deserved it. And other guys like Kerr were going to also be demanding more money. Rodman as well. And so this idea to yeah, rebuild the team. Pippen. I can't believe with Pippen, like, NBA, like, they didn't have arbitration or anything. Like, he just had to just sit there at that contract. Like, that's crazy. That doesn't, that's, like, definitely not the new CBA. Like, it's so different. Right. I mean, things have changed, and I think a lot of things are more for the benefit of the players um, now with the CBA and everything else. But my whole point to that is the reason why I'm an advocate of the salary cap is so that things can remain competitive. You can't build these super teams and just monopolize and keep paying people to stay on. Um, You really have to make these chess moves to try to allocate your salary appropriately. Kind of like the way that, you know, they force you to do with like DraftKings and, you know, some of these other leagues as well. So the concept of it, I agree with. And so when people say all of these things regarding, you know, the continuity of their championship run. I just don't think it would have been possible. Yeah. Somebody would have had to get cut because of the money and whoever would come in as a replacement would not be able to live up to that expectation, whether it was to play alongside Jordan or to play to that level um, under the pressure, et cetera, et cetera. And so I just think that it was best that they just ended it the way that they did. You know, the last dance, we got our sixth ring. Go ahead. Yeah, really quickly. Um, so, so I know everybody is like, oh, what the Bulls, blah, 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 and arbitration. Um, Scottie Pippen is dumb. I'm sorry, guys. Um, the fact yeah, of the matter he's is he's, bad with, he's bad with money. That's why he fucking bought that plane that went to shit and he started having money issues. And that's why he doesn't tip people. Um, also, the fact is his agent, he, his, first of all, his agent is probably one of the better agents. You have, his, his, his agent's clients now are Daniel Jones, Sam Darnold, Julio Jones, Philip Rivers, and Nick Saban. He doesn't have a bad agent. I'm sorry. Um, his yeah. agent told him not to take the deal. Scottie Pippen did. Michael Jor- uh, Jerry Reinsdorf told him and Michael Jordan, hey, don't sign these deals that you're doing. And Scottie Pippen signed it anyway. He brought that on himself. I'm sorry. I agree. But I think a lot of that also yeah. comes down to, like, desperation upbringing. And, you know, he even said himself, like, yeah, coming- what was it, 18 mil? Yes, seven yeah, years, 18, 18 mil. That's for, a lot of money. Was that five years? Uh, seven years. Seven years. years. Seven. Mm, got taken to the Seven years. Yeah, I mean that's a terrible <laughs> deal. But that's a terrible I mean, deal. if you're looking at like one hundred twenty second in the league, <laughs> if you're looking at a non guaranteed contract, and you're looking at factors of injuries and other things that may affect you guaranteeing yourself that money, I mean at a level of desperation, you're gonna take what you can. And so I I, I think a lot of that has to go with his age, his inexperience, and I think his situation should now serve as an example for other future players to be able to sit here and say hey like i should gamble on myself and that's why i'm an advocate of people that take the one-year deals you know 
Mm-hmm. You're gambling mm-hmm. on yourself to now secure a bigger payday for you for later so that you're not locking yourself down for an extensive period of time to where now the CPA may change and now you may be able to demand more money with inflation and everything else that changes as well. Yeah. You know what's crazy about those co- – like really quick – biggest quickest uh, side – like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> the like the ineptitude that was 90s nba uh just wild so like the scotty pippen thing right because there was like what no no salary cap or whatever like i think the warriors had the i think the magic drafted weber um traded him to the warriors for uh anthony hardaway's rights um signed him to a 15-year deal with a first-year opt-out <laughs> like I, I wish the warriors did that more often just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not. that's how wild the '90s NBA was. Just hey, you know what? You're a first overall pick. How about a 15 year deal? But if you don't like us, that's cool. <laughs> See you later. Yeah, yeah, they really need to make a 30 for 30 about that. About Chris Webber's uh, deal? No, no, oh. no. I'm just saying, like, just about those deals and like <laughs> the shit that was going on in the '90s. Yeah. Um, Wiggins, you brought this up earlier regarding the music in the first episode. And music is a category that we like to highlight. We got to hear a lot of music samples throughout the entire series. What did you guys think of the music selection? Did you guys think that the music appropriately applied to the series? Or do you think that some things didn't? I mean, obviously I did since I highlighted it. So uh, I'm, I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Scott? Yeah, I thought, everything, I thought everything was solid. I mean, a lot of stuff. Scott's like, why do they have this hip hop? Uh, I knew right away. Yeah, no, no, I was into hip-hop in the 90s. He was like, I wanted uh, to hear some Nirvana. Right away. Yeah, exactly. I was an alternative, too. Um, but no, I, a lot of it, I, I thought it was great. I mean, there were a couple songs where I was like, oh, wait, what's that song again? And I had to, like, stop it and look it up. But, oh, for the most part, I thought, yeah, I thought, it was, I thought that was maybe one of the... The whole series, I think, was brilliant, but I think the music was, was pretty outstanding. Yeah, I thought, I mean, I certainly yeah. thought it fit. I think the background music selection was phenomenal. Um, I think that they carefully selected songs that went along with the themes and the topics of discussion. Uh, Wiggins, you mentioned, you know, the Eric B. and Rakim song. Um, I think a lot of it just fit along with the storyline. And I think one of my favorite selections was when they were talking about Jordan's, uh, you know, his his hunger for more Mm -hmm. championships. And they played... Nas, Uh-oh. if I rule oh, the world Scott. in the background, <laughs> here's Scott. Yeah, so. yeah, he's ready. <laughs> if I rule the world, yeah, I, love I, I think just for me, I think that was just a big deal. Like, I'm a huge '90s hip hop fan, and I found it nostalgic to hear a lot of these iconic song songs from the era. I mean, from a trap called Quest, "Can I Kick It," to "Naughty by Nature." I mean, just it was hit after hit after hit. They also and had the I Rough Riders anthem was, in there too. True. Yeah. Which that was my shit back then. Yeah. I was the, like 11 uh, years old when that came out. <laughs> I forgot which ep- I forgot what episode they played Shook ones also. I think. I think they only played they, well they only did the intro. Yeah, okay, yeah. All right. But um yeah, I mean, I think the music was very appropriate and I think that the reason why it was more appropriate is that there's a strong correlation between NBA and hip hop culture, specifically from the 90s. And so I appreciate the fact that they highlighted that because we see that more now with like a lot of these nba players and even in the 90s too transcending from nba to hip-hop you know you had Shaq trying to rap you had kobe trying to rap now you have dame (laughs) lillard you know so the the correlation is there and i think it's 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 become a part of the culture yeah and a subculture the quote 
Yeah, isn't it the quote like, all NBA players want to be rappers and all that's rappers Drake. want to be NBA players? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, Drake. That's yeah. Drake, right? No, yeah. You know, the thing, I, the, the thing that I love the most is that they played a present, I think it's present tense by Pearl Jam, Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, um, if that rings a bell. But uh, I like that because Eddie mm. Vedder is like a renowned Chicago Bulls fan and sort of that, yes. that uh, playing that. Like I know they played like a Simon and Garfunkel song in there too, right? But no, I just love that they got a Pearl Jam in there. That's awesome. No, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, timeless versus time passed it by. What was timeless and unforgettable about the series? And what do you think has let ta- time pass it by and has been or will be forgotten? I'll let Scottford start. Uh, yeah, I think the uh, we, we kind of touched on it. Uh, some of the contract stuff, some of the weird uh, <laughs> weird rules, like you know Pippen not getting paid, not having any options, being literally maybe the second best player in the league. Um, and then I uh, I also mentioned it early, but I also think uh, Phil Jackson's coaching tree has has passed. <laughs> <laughs> well, shout out to all my New Yorkers, but I think they're all gonna want to forget his time with the Knicks. Yeah, like I don't know anyone that's a Knicks fan that fucks with Phil Jackson. Like I think he's as one of the player, most. As a player, he won two Well, as a player, but I'm saying like as an exec, as an executive, yeah. like I know a lot of people. Yeah, he just are, took like, that money. He's just like, yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, he just totally took that money. Uh, I think uh, so. Timeless. Um, I mean, look, uh, you know, Jordan's timeless, and you know all the Jays that you see in there, uh, timeless, and then just the stories and like the let the the shit talking. I think all that's uh, timeless. I mean, what's pass it by the fat jokes? Um, just. Yeah, we don't do that anymore. What's really pass it by is, look, 90s basketball is garbage, guys. I am sorry. Like, if you look Ooh. at the – I'm looking at some of these scores, finals, 56 to 93. Then a good game is 75 to 83. <laughs> when they're showing him, like, playing – like, when he's playing drop 63 on the Celtics or whatever, it's closer to today's scores, like 122 to 101. When they're showing the bad boy Pistons, who's out of, like, this is odd, like, when you think about it. Their defense, they're still scoring, like, a hundred, like, teams are, like, the bad boy's defense is stout, and the teams are still scoring, like, 101 points, right? Um, that 80s basketball <laughs> was so much better than the 90s. What we see today is so much better than the 90s. Like, th- those scores were just garbage. Like, 75 to 81 in the finals. No one's watching. I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just, well, I think that's why they integrated the rule change. I think that yeah. they realized that, and so they wanted to make it more entertaining. Yeah, I, yeah. I was just like, I was like, this is just, and like, even if you look at some of the possessions or whatever, right? It's like they're clearly playing like the same level of ISO ball, right? And I'm like, there's just like a lot of bums on this. Like, there's a lot of bums on this team. I, I understand the argument, the argument of like, hey, you know, Jordan played with less talent, right? Because there was like a lot of shit that was uh, that were finding ways to make money. You answered the question before I even brought it up because I was gonna say that. <laughs> okay. No, no. I mean, like, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah. I was gonna, I was about to call you out and be like, so what, what does that say about Jordan's competition? Yeah, it's yeah, it was just yeah, there were some bums. Like, if you look at that Seattle team, right? It, outside of Scotty, sorry, outside of Gary Payton and then Sean Kemp, who only ever averaged more than twenty. He's supposed to be like a dominant. Number two, he never he only averaged like over twenty points a game one time, and that was when he was with the Cavaliers. And after he had an eating problem, so the <laughs> and I'm like, all right, he had to learn how to do it like kind of a kind of a jump hook because he couldn't just <laughs> yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're like all right, he has like a lot of kids and he eats a lot. Um, 
It's yeah. <laughs> Some of those teams he played against were just like bums. Like the the level of like Allen. Uh, Alan thick haircuts uh, on so, some of the guys that were in the starting lineups at the end of games. So it's just like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the East was stronger then, though, right? Yeah, the jerseys were terrible. Yeah, the yeah, East was bad, yeah. but the East East was definitely the stronger, was stronger than then. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's part of it. I mean, like the I, I think at least at least from an, a final standpoint. Uh, like like the LeBron Eastern Conference years or whatever. Obviously, Boston was great, but but for a long time, you know, they could just dominate, or that's why that's why people say he was dominating or whatever. But he always had a lot better competition, I think, than than he's given credit for. Uh, Jordan or but, LeBron? Uh, LeBron. I think I think we, we're not trying to make this into a Jordan. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I I'm with you, but my point my point is. Uh, in in today's era, the conferences, while they might not be exactly as strong, like the teams that end up against one another in the finals is always so, good. Like the '90s basketball was basically like uh, mostly the the NFL Super Bowls, also in the '90s. Mm-hmm. Like the championship games were always just bad. So really quickly, well, I'm going go to push back really quickly on the East being stronger than the West. I'm looking at some numbers right now. Um, Okay, so only one year that uh, – so, yeah, only one year. I think 91-92, it looks like that's the only season. Uh, the Chicago Bulls had a 67-15 record. Uh, I think the Blazers were the top in the West with a 57-25, and that was their finals opponent. But you go back every other season, um, the Western Western Conference teams just have higher winning percentage than these Eastern – like, obviously, my Clippers still suck, um, and the Mavericks are bad, but – yeah, the Western Conference teams have higher winning percentages. Uh, so you could make the argument the same shit that people talk about LeBron right now around the East being bad. Jordan did that. And, again, I have made this argument about the 90s. Because we knew players, we like, who they were, because there was, like, things that were just larger than life because of movies like Space Jam and, like, Grandma Ma being on Family Matters, we think that these guys <laughs> were better. Like, these, like, Larry Johnson's not, like, an all-NBA team guy. I'm sorry. He's maybe yeah, but nah. you know why UNLV won? Well, yeah, I know it, it's a goal too because they had Larry Johnson. <laughs> but yeah, look, it looks like the Western Conference was actually deeper than, and Jordan just yeah, like so you can make the argument that hey, you know, the Spurs and Rockets and Jazz and Sonics were and Suns were beating the shit out of each other, right? And then Jordan just had to beat like Patrick Ewing, who he owns, and the New Jersey Nets with forty-two wins, and you know, get his chance of the finals. Yeah, I mean. Maybe. Oh, I'll leave that debate up to the listeners, yeah. and y'all can hit us on Twitter if you want. Uh, yeah, all these like we all can the continue Jordan. this debate out there. The uh, going back to timeless together. versus time passed it by, though, I'm gonna have to say for timeless, uh, the Bulls dynasty. Simply said, consider one of the greatest, if not the greatest, NBA dynasty. And Jordan, as the goat, will always be a discussion for generations to come. We see it today with all the comparisons and the critique with current and former players. You just heard it two minutes ago with Scott trying to draw, turn this into a LeBron versus Jordan who's better debate. In my case, it'd be a Jordan versus Kobe debate. So as we continue to get older and players retire and new ones arrive, I think we will always continue to hear those comparisons to Jordan and the debates will always continue. And I'm talking 15, 20 years from now, we'll probably still hear those comparisons get drawn. So no matter what, I think Jordan's legacy will continue and it will live on forever. 
As far as time passed it by, I would have to say it would be where some of the players ended up after the last dance. Wig, you mentioned, you know, Pippen <laughs> going to the Rockets, and then from there he went to the Blazers. Like, people aren't going to remember that. People are always going to remember him being on the Bulls. Um, I've seen people trolling Jordan. Your boy Marcellus Wiley just did it today, uh, trying to say, like, the last dance part two, and then Jordan in a Wizards jersey. Like, people aren't going to remember... <laughs> people aren't going to remember Love Jordan Marcel. with the Wizards and <laughs> what he didn't accomplish with them. Like, yeah, he still made it to the play or to the All-Star game. Somehow turned into, he somehow turned into, like, the best post-up player in the NBA when he went to the Wizards. I mean, he like, transitioned his game. Guard. And I will yeah, give him God. credit. Like, he did still maintain his numbers like his averages yeah. even with the wizards were still good yeah and that last all-star game that he played in where they turned it into a kobe versus jordan competition he still put up good numbers and i i still think that they try to give it to him by giving him the last shot at that game which he missed but um going back to the subject people also aren't going to remember like rodman getting dropped by the the Bulls like I've even brought up to people like I hated Rodman for a long time until he came on to the Lakers in uh in 99 and people are like I didn't know Rodman was on the Lakers I'm like yeah he was there for a few months people aren't gonna remember it why because they're always gonna remember them with these teams so I think time has definitely passed it by and will continue to pass it by and people are never gonna remember where they ended up after that only where they were before Mm -hmm. um so moving on to our next topic which is one that chris wiggins and i created called we wish them nothing but the worst uh Carl this Malone. is where we take <laughs> 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 this is where we take anyone that was introduced or discussed in the series that would be someone that you would wish nothing but the worst to and why so uh i'm gonna give it to wiggins because he <laughs> seems to have some sort of uh uh some bad blood with malone so Go ahead and give us a reason. Number one, he's country. Number two, his hair sucks. Number three, he's inconsistent. <laughs> Number four, he's a piece of shit as a person. Five, he's a deadbeat dad. Oh, man. Yo. Anything else so you want to say? It seems like he's getting a lot of bad shit going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, you're not going to tell him it's because he was the dirtiest player in the NBA, because he's conservative. Uh, no, no. I don't Look, I don't mind if someone's conservative. That's y'all that got the issue with the conservatives, right? I don't mind, right? It's number one. He sucks. Number two, he's inconsistent. Number three, he's a bad dad. Number four, he's an asshole. Number five, the hairline. Number, you he's know, also one. he teamed up with old ass fucking Diamond Dallas Page. That's trash. Uh, <laughs> WCW. Yeah, man. I'm gonna help. I'm gonna go to the Diamond Cutter. I'm gonna beat that Dennis Robin. I'm gonna beat that Dennis Robin. I'm still going to be big and have my tractor. I work hard to get my guns, and I work hard to get my fishing license. It's the mailman. Yeah, yeah. Where's that, where I just, is that guy from? Rustin, Louisiana. I, yeah, he's super country. I just think that the WCW could have picked someone better. Like, it, it, Rodman I, teaming Weber up with Hogan and the NWO was perfect. Like, I cannot see Rodman being affiliated with anyone better than the NWO just because of their persona and what they stood for. And I liked his cameo appearances in wrestling. Like, I thought that was dope. And even seeing it now as an adult, like, it's nostalgic. It's like, oh, shit, I remember that because wrestling was a shit in the 90s. But bringing Carl Malone and then especially to team up with Diamond Dallas Page, like, yeah. come on. They could have picked someone better. Like, DDP was not a 
a big name in WCW <laughs> at that time. Well, no, that year he was. He was a champ. He's the people's champ. He had the fake Nirvana song. Just Carl Malone yeah. was off. Like, that, that but he made Carmelo. it to what? Like the United States champion? Like he, he was never Carl the heavyweight champion. champion. Yeah, he was. He, he's a three-time. He, he's the one that started the thing. I'm a two-time. Two-time WCW Two champion. Time. Right. But it was all short. They were all short reigns. Well, Steam it was WCW. It everything was a short reign. Unless you were Hogan. <laughs> Yeah, and then once they brought Goldberg in, you're right. Uh, listen, I still... Male, man. I, I will agree Yo, with you. Male, man, you want to do the diamond cutter? Merle, let me go and see that. You know, they say that Louisiana and New Jersey are the same. I wasn't a fan of the mailman. And, and to be fair, that 97 and 98 final, I fucking was disgusted. Like, I hated the Jazz. haircut. I hated the Jazz. I hated Malone. I hated Stockton. I hated Hornacek. Mailman doesn't deliver on Sundays. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Scott, who who do you wish nothing but the worst to? Carl Malone. Uh, no, also Carl Malone. <laughs> yes. No, J- uh, Jerry Krause. <laughs> the worst has already Why? happened to him. <laughs> yeah. I hope it keeps happening. You already try to clown uh, the dude for not not <laughs> not being filmed with a fucking bucket of fried chicken. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe if he would have been healthy. Oh my lord! Um, <laughs> yeah. I thought we said that that time. That time. Speaking, speaking <laughs> ill. No, I'm just saying. Uh, no, I think, I think, obviously, uh, as we've talked about, he he made some good moves. Um, I think he he could evaluate talent talent pretty well, but I I think he he makes the common mistake in that uh, he he's. He overvalues his role uh, as a front office executive in into sort of the success of the team, right? And they had that they had that quote, and it was he was saying he was misquoted, right, and saying you know players don't win, organizations, uh, teams, or organizations, <laughs> or yeah, whatever. whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I mean, athletic director I, in high think, school saying we won the state title. Yeah, exactly. I mean. It's like, yeah, cool, dude. Like, you picked Jordan, and that's awesome. You got the best player ever of all time. Cool. Uh, but, like, that, yeah, you just, it's it's uh, it's the players who need to be spotlighted, and I think we see a lot of good execs out there now um, who, who let the players, you know, be themselves and let the players have the show. That's the whole point of it. We're not there to watch, you know, front office organizations. NBA draft quite isn't like the NFL draft yet. Maybe I'll get there, but interesting point. Uh, I'm gonna have to say I'm coming out of left field right here, but I'm gonna say the executive from Converse who told Jordan that they could not bring him on to their shoe line. Mm. That person's probably kicking himself in the ass right now. <laughs> Um, also, whoever was running Adidas that led the company on a downward trend to also not be able to accommodate Jordan because that's where he clearly wanted to go. Um, yeah, he was saying he liked Adidas, right? Yeah, he said that that's who we wanted to sign with. Those are probably that's probably one of the biggest regrets for both companies and their executives for making those decisions, like to see how far the Jordan brand went and where Nike took it to, and the irony behind it because Nike now owns Converse. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like mm. the tables turn. But to be honest with you, I, I think that was probably one of my favorite segments from the show. And we didn't really talk about it um, as much. But just seeing 
you know, how that played out with his contract with Nike, you know, him saying that he didn't even want to go to that meeting to begin with, and his mom basically told him to, like, give them a chance, and knowing now how big Nike is and how big Jordan is and how we associate Jordan with Nike, like, we cannot imagine one not being with the other, and knowing how this relationship almost didn't even come to fruition, like, it's it's just, it's crazy to see, like, how that played out. But yeah. I think it worked out for the best, Yeah, I love to that be moment. honest. Yeah, yeah. Mike said, I, I wish the guy the worst just because they didn't have the technology to make a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> no, they have the technology. No, well, I, oh, didn't, oh they wait, didn't. They, just said that, they just said that they're not, that they don't have the capacity to make the bas- a basketball shoe or something like that? Com- well, that was with Converse. So no, Converse well, no, Adidas said had said that. that Adidas had said that they, right. that they wanted Jordan, but they couldn't make a basketball shoe or something. Because they didn't have, like, the the capacity to accommodate, like, his his shoe line. I think they had misappropriated their funds. Okay. And so they didn't really have Damn. the money for it. And Converse couldn't afford to bring it on because they already had Larry Bird and Magic Johnson on there. Yeah, man. Mike's just like, all right, I want this fucking executive at Adidas to die because they didn't do their money, use their money, <laughs> I right? I didn't say that. No. Oh, no, well, no, no. What, okay, what's that. the worst? <laughs> <laughs> He, I guess we never I, define I wish, what the worst is. We're just basing um, on what the worst for Jerry Krause was. That his guilt trip, you know, <laughs> yeah, causes him he to rethink. I don't know. He gets diarrhea. Like I don't wish him anything crazy. <laughs> Chris oh, is always I'm trying to poke. <laughs> Chris is always trying to trying to stir shit up. Um, you don't even know the guy's name. No one's gonna fucking. <laughs> or, I didn't yeah, research his name. My bad. Yeah, we don't even know the person's no name. Defect- so- there's no one here. No, I don't. I don't know the person's so. name either, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think his name was Kyle. Oh, there we just go. Just Kyle, Kyle, huh? <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll just say Kyle. the we'll say the Adidas exec was uh, Karen. Oh, I found his name. It's Carlos okay. Malone. <laughs> he doesn't like being called Carlos. He likes a shorter version. This is oh, man. <laughs> Yo, your beef with Carmelo is hilarious, bro. Yeah. But, but look, Jerry Cross never tried to sign me. <laughs> we would have taken him over in Utah. Yeah. So. I could have been the tag we're team gonna, champion. We're going to wrap this up. I'm going to give the floor, though, to uh, Bauer real quick. Um, this is another segment that we created called Bauer Internet Conspiracy, where basically Bauer takes into takes a conspiracy from the show and gives his take on it. And so he's going to talk about his conspiracy regarding the Bulls breakup. So most people don't know this, but Krause and Jared Jones are actually very good friends. <laughs> and uh, they also uh, have, in addition to oil and resources, uh, many connections within the uh, underground uh, gambling industry. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, they collectively worked together through a series of gambling networks uh, to find Jordan's weaknesses. And we all know the real reason he quit basketball was his gambling on his own games, sort of like Pete Rose. And they were going to expose him unless he quit. And then he quit and played baseball. But then... Uh, the bookie wanted Jordan to come back uh, because they made too much money off of him playing and they lost a bunch. So they convinced Krause to to, to sign him back. <laughs> That's all I can come up with. 
So uh, also shout <laughs> shout out to Jerry Krause because Phil Jackson has tried to reconcile with him multiple times before he died, and Jerry Krause refused all the meetings. So <laughs> yeah, I read about that. that like that's... everybody in the world can get along with Phil Jackson except for Jerry Krause. I think that speaks more about Jerry Krause than it does Phil Jackson. Yeah, I think it's just a clash of egos. Yeah, nothing anything. like hey, <laughs> nothing like hey, I fired you. Uh, but I'm still gonna invite you to my uh, my daughter-in-law's wedding. But hey, the guy I fired you for, don't tell him about it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Yo, well, I mean, it, it speaks volumes. Like Phil Jackson went on to Lakers, won a lot more championships. Krause tried to rebuild the Bulls, and they didn't do shit. They made a brief attempt when they got Rose, and they had Joakim Noah, and then ever since then, they've been irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah. not a, also he that's wasn't the, he wasn't conspiracy. he also wasn't the GM when they had Rose either. He, uh, right, he was already yeah. gone. But I'm just yeah. saying, like he wasn't the even there for the like baby the last... bulls either. Like with uh, Ben Gordon, he, yeah, he's even gone before that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he sucks. All right, well, listen, uh, <laughs> we're gonna wrap this thing up. I think that that's I mean, enough maybe, Jordan talk. Maybe Phil Jackson. Maybe Phil Jackson pulled kind of like a Delonte West on Jerry Krause. Or something. Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, my yeah, name's Carl Malone. I'd be willing to do that. Yeah, that's 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 a flagrant <laughs> foul right there, bro. <laughs> that's a flagrant. I'm just that's, saying, that's, there's got to be something more than just a clash. Of that's a flagrant too. I have to throw you out for that one. Um, we're gonna wrap this up before. Scott Bauer starts bringing up more internet conspiracies, and before he tries to draw a debate over who's the goat of all time, uh, whether it's LeBron, Jordan, or Kobe, I'm um, like trying to prevent a guy from uh, doing something <laughs> by bringing it up. It's it's, it's, it's LeBron. Whatever. I mean, you should be you should be more mad about coronavirus than anything. You guys would be getting another championship this year. I mean, I, again, I'm not gonna dig into this because me and wiggins have this debate off mic all the time uh yeah, but i just want to thank one, the one who's a true gemini yeah the one who's a true gemini is always two, right in you the guys debate. are both you guys are both homers <laughs> the lakers would beat the clippers <laughs> all right uh thank you everyone for tuning in um i just want to say coronavirus is still here don't let a lot of this reopening of the economy steer you in the wrong direction keep washing your hands keep social distancing Keep the mentality. I am going to an outdoor restaurant tomorrow <laughs> because they're open. Nah. But I'll be safe. That's the wrong message to deliver. Keep the mentality as if this is still going strong because we still cannot prevent a second wave from coming. And the last thing you want to do is associate yourself with that. Um, so from me, I just want to say thank you, Wiggins. Yeah, guys, go out there and just do whatever the hell you want. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Uh, be safe and be smart. Keep watching uh, documentaries like this and keep listening to the damn weekly, sh- uh, the weekly shift and keep listening to the damn binges of simple, like real talk. Yes. Shout out to the weekly shift. That is our partner broadcast hosted by your very own Chris Wiggins, yep. part of star Mata production. And Scott Bauer, bef- you want to give a quick shout out real quick for. Yeah. Just, uh, just to all the homies. <laughs> Everyone back in Ohio. <laughs> God, that's like when you win an award and like you you, you try to 
say what's up to the other artists on the record label. And Scott's just like, hey, everyone I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. All right. So this is Avengers Assemble. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for tuning in. We out.